What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Phantom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Anthony, Lori, and Mike, and we are discussing Shadow and Bone, episode two. The title is We're All Someone's Monster. And this episode begins with a flashback. We are in the orphanage in Karamzin, and one of the older kids is telling the younger kids about a test that is being conducted. He's basically telling the younger kids what they do to find out if someone is Grisha. And some of the kids, they're, they're asking questions about, well, what do they do and how is it done? And Alina and Mal are not in the room with the rest of the kids. I don't know where they've been, but they, they kind of sneak into the room and they're kind of eavesdropping on the conversation. And Mal comes in and he's, he's hurt. He's got his hand bandaged up and he asks the uh, older kid whose name is Forrick. He says, well, how did, how does the test work? And the guy turns around and he says, you know, they don't do the test on the sick and injured. And because I think he got into a fight or he did something during dinner and that's how he hurt his hand. They're like, yeah, they're not going to test you. And Alina looks at his hand and she looks worried. And I don't know, there was something about the way she was listening in and the, the facial expression she was making while all of this was being discussed. And even once she found out that Mal was not going to be tested or probably wouldn't be tested because of his injury, did it seem to anyone else like she was a little more worried than she should have been? It seemed to me that she, I don't know, it just she did have a look on her face like, she knew something that no one else did. It it felt to me like, I mean, even this early in the episode, and we know what happened at the end of the last episode, we see that it does appear that Alina is the sun summoner. And I don't know, something about, I don't know if it was because we know this coming into the second episode, but something about the way she was looking and the way she worried, it's almost like she might've, either known that she could have been Grisha or she was scared that she might be Grisha and she was scared of that being found out it just seemed like she had that kind of like intuition yeah that intuition and again we don't know anything about Alina's parents so we don't know if one of her parents might have been Grisha or what the case may be but it just she struck me as someone who knew a little bit more about it seemed like she knew that she might be Grisha that's what yeah, like. yeah, I I agree. She she's she seems like somebody who maybe had a memory of something when she was younger before her parents died, maybe, and maybe that stuck with her because yeah. you don't go to that type of level of deception unless you pretty much know in your mind that something might go you know wrong uh, regarding you, right. So anyway, after they're having this, this little conversation and also, you know, I kind of wonder about Mal's background because we've already talked about the fact that there seems to be some racism in this show, specifically against Alina, but the, um, the kid Fork, he, when he's speaking to Mal, he also refers to Mal as a mutt. 
and we all know mutt yeah, mixed breed. Means someone who is mixed blood some yeah mixed breed that sort of thing um and so i'm just kind of wondering like okay so what's the story with mal you know we haven't heard we haven't seen him be bullied in that sense as much as Alina, but we do know that Mal is bullied all the time. And I'm wondering if whatever his racial background is, is part of the reason, or if it's just that he is the type of soft-spoken, scared little kid that we've seen in the first episode. And if that's why he's being bullied, but you know, there, there's just, there's a lot of questions I have just even in the first few minutes of this episode. But anyway, um, Anakuya, that is the name of the governess over the orphanage. She comes in and she tells all the students, hey, we have visitors. Come on. And as all the kids are going into wherever it is that they're going to meet the visitors, Alina takes Mal's hand and they leave the orphanage and they run into the meadow and we we know from the first episode this is the meadow where they used to go and hide from children when they were escaping the bullying or when they kind of wanted to be off to themselves and you know Alina makes the comment to him she was like okay she can't see us we're safe and he's looking at her kind of confused he was like don't you want to know if you're Grisha and she Again, she gives him this look and she hesitates before she answers, but it's kind of like, like she knows something. And she says, no, I don't want to go if you, if you can't go, which we already know that Mal probably won't be tested because of his injury. But the fact that she feels so strongly that they will be separated to the point where she escapes with him and they, they kind of hide. I really feel like she knows something. Yeah, it definitely seems like that in this scene because, like, when he asks her, she she looks like she knows that something's with her, that she definitely has some kind of power, and that he probably doesn't. So she doesn't want to be separated from him because maybe she's worried about him or she's really protective of him. But she, de- I definitely agree with you that the look in her eye right before she said, "Not if we can't go together." After he asked her if she wanted to know mm-hmm. if he wanted to know if she was Grisha, she definitely hadn't looked like. Uh, she looked like she looked like she was about to say, "I already know." Like she like there was some there was something up. Like something happened, and she already knew that she kind of had that power, kind of had something going on with her, yeah. or that something with her parent. Her parents had powers too, so I think there's definitely something to that. Right, but um, you know, the thing that she's scared of is that if she is Grisha and he is not they're going to be separated. One of the things that Fork was telling the other kids is that if they test as Grisha, then they're taken away to go live in the little palace, which is, I guess, where they send all the Grisha to train and to learn to hone their powers. And then we find out that Grisha are, um, when they grow up, they are all, I think, part of the second army, which is the army of Grisha. And she just doesn't want to be separated from him, which I can understand if if they are that close. But again, I, I just really feel like she she knows more than than she's saying. Um, but anyway, so as they having this conversation, Anakuya comes out calling for them and they hide in the middle. They lie down and Mal kind of hesitantly grabs her hand and they look at each other and then 
the scene fades into present day where they're in a similar situation. Both of them are lying on the skiff and this is after the Volker attack. Mal regains his consciousness first and he looks over at Alina who is still unconscious and he reaches over to grab her hand in the same way but as he does so right before he touches her hand he is lifted up on a gurney and taken off the skiff and Zoya is overseeing some of the well I won't say she's overseeing there's a lot of chaos on the skiff. Of course, this is after the Volker attack. It appears that the skiff has finally made it to its destination. And there's a lot of chaos because of the attacks. There's people who are dead. There are people who are severely injured. And Zoya finds Alina on the skiff and she has a healer come over to her. And Alina regains consciousness just as the healer is healing her fractured collarbone. And of course, Alina's first thing is she's looking, she's like, where's Mal? Where's the tracker? And they tell her he's been taken to medical, the medical tent with the rest of the first army. Zoya looks at Alina and she tells the healer to take Alina to General Kerrigan's tent. And before we get there, I find it interesting that if you're in the first army, you go to medical if you're injured, but if you're Grisha or Second Army, you get healed by a healer. I just found that, like, why wouldn't you take advantage of the healers to heal just whoever, you know, especially in a situation like that? You know, I kind of wonder if maybe, I wonder if the healers, when they use their powers, and maybe not even just the healers, all the Grisha, I wonder if that depletes their energy and so they saved. But I see, say, I thought that too, but at the time it wasn't like they were in a battle. To, no, but it probably more takes more effort. Yeah, but it probably takes more effort to heal someone with non-magical powers than it does someone with magical powers. I would think that the magic in their blood or in their system probably helps them with their healing. That's just, I mean, if you think about other fantasy and if you think about other um you know other shows and other movies a lot of magical people the magic in their blood kind of helps with that kind of thing you know sometimes it accelerates their healing it accelerates you know other things so I'm that's just kind of my thinking like maybe the healers focus on the Grisha because it takes less effort and then therefore they're able to heal more people before their energy is depleted. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Again, we, we're only two, like at this point, we're still not even a full two episodes in. So we don't really know a lot about their powers, but that's just kind of what I assumed. See, I had the opposite thought. I was thinking it's it sound, it seems like a arbitrary, like, um, way to keep everything separate like i can see that i would think there, there are probably a lot of people in the first army who don't like the grisha and so they don't want to be yeah. healed by grisha so they just have a general rule that the grisha is just not going to heal any of the first army people I, right I can they're just, they're just... And you can just avoid that whole situation that way 
they're just keeping them. I mean, just basic segregation. Like yeah, just, you know, you, 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 you stay with your kind and you'll stay with our kind and we'll, we'll use, we'll use needles and thread and you use your mystical powers to heal everybody. Even though it would be, it would be better, probably be better for everybody if they would let the, let the healers heal the people that really needed to be healed instead of just taking them to a tent and sewing them up like mash. But, you know, I mean, people, you know, stupid people. Yeah, I can see that on both ends. Like the Grecian may not want to heal the first army because they may have prejudices against them. And then the first army may be like, no, I don't want that Grecia touching me. I mean, again, yeah. we, we don't really know too much about it at this point. So I, I, I think both points are valid. It could be either or. But like you said, it, it, it does kind of strike as weird because if that's the case, I think it's, I, I find it interesting that Zoya sends a healer to take care of Alina when at this point it's not even confirmed that she's Grisha. They don't, they don't really know what happened yet. You know, they don't even know if she is Grisha. They don't know if it was some kind of. Didn't that make it even more interesting? Yeah. yeah I, th- I think they, they had, yeah, I think they had, they had their suspicions just based on what happened in the episode but yeah since you bring up that point it is interesting that they took everybody else to medical but they're like hey heal this girl but then when Zoya says hey take her to General Kerrigan's tent instead of taking her to medical with the rest of the first army because Alina is first army then yeah that kind of already shows that they are thinking that she is Grisha but that will open up a whole another set of questions because how is she this old and she's Grisha and nobody knows that she's Grisha that's that's gonna be a whole other complicated thing which of course we know the answer to that because she didn't get tested but um right because later when Kerrigan asked her is like uh were you not tested well, I, like, I didn't from? say anything yeah. like you answer the question. Yeah, because I, th- I think she- I, I, I was right. just going to say that I, I really question these people with their piss poor testing methods. I'm sorry, but if the Grisha are as important as they make it out to be, I'm sorry, but if little girl cut her head, wouldn't you reschedule it for two weeks later? I mean, come on, that that's just not, you know, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have... I have, as you guys, you know, various genres of stuff. And the thing that bothers me is that they always make an emphasis on testing. We have to test this. We have to do that. So if these people are as desperate as they appear to be, just because she cut her hand or Mal is hurt, you would think that they would have some sort of retesting schedule i mean even if they don't get to them until the next year you cannot tell me that if they skip you one time they never ever go back and test you again that is piss poor planning and piss poor project management right there yeah i that does seem kind of weird that especially if you had these people who are so powerful who are so different even going and testing once a year mm-hmm. That se- I, I don't know. That seems kind of, I, I don't know, not urgent enough. I mean, we don't know too much about the Grisha and we don't know, like, I want to know why, 
is it that they're going to different places and that's why they can't test more than one year because they're taking all the testers with them but that doesn't make sense either to me like you would think that it would it's kind of like okay working in education you're testing a whole district of students at one time you have different teachers you have different proctors you know, even for like the SAT or the ACT, if you have a group of students, you have a proctor in the room with them that can oversee multiple students and you get these tests several times a year. Why wouldn't they do the same thing for something like okay, this? Well, well yeah, it is sense. a possibility that, you know, first of all, they're sort of in an ongoing war with two nations. You know, that, that's one thing. And most of the Grisha are in the army or they're being trained. Some of them are being, you know, smuggled across whoever, God, God knows wherever. And then you expect them to kind of organize and go out into the boonies all over the country and, and find kids to test and orphans to test. So there probably should be some urgency to it. But it might be one of those things that logistically they just don't have the resources to to put forth that great of an effort. Like it would be cool if you could, if you could have a whole division dedicated to just searching for Grisha kids, you know, wherever you can. But it could be one of those things that's just it's a logistical nightmare. And they just get around to it when they can get to it. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to live in this world, you know. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in this world. I take that and I submit to you the Hunger Games. If they could test those people, they could test the Grisha. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> if they could get Katniss and them to do the tribute, they can do it for these people. But see, the whole thing with the Hunger Games is that was a form of control. They were doing the Hunger Games and going to get the tributes in order to assert control and keep everyone in line. It wasn't necessarily anything that they were doing for the betterment of the country. They just wanted to say, you know what? We can take you and we can kill you anytime we want to do this. I mean, we we see this in Mockingjay, you know, once once the tributes when the hunger games they're supposed to be left alone for life they're supposed to be living the life of luxury for life and because katniss stood up to president snow the following year she got quelled again you know nobody liked her right but my my point is is that and i'm using this and the reason i'm using this example is is that if they were able to have a regulated thing every year I really don't think that it's that hard for the kingdom, even if you're in a war. In fact, if you're in a war, it seems to me it would be even more of an important thing to do because we don't know how many Grisha they have. We don't know how many normal children they have. And it would seem to me that it would be more on their side to get as many of them trained up as they possibly can because if you don't, then you're going to have some problems because we can see so far that we don't know much about the Grisha so far, but we know that the Grisha are very important. It just seems to me that there has got to be somebody, somebody in the government whose entire job is to regulate and find these children and test these children at least 
every year. And if you miss somebody, go back and retest them because it's important for the war effort. There are a lot of things. There are a lot of moving parts to this. There are a lot of. There's a lot of information we don't. Mm, this is true. Number one, it, there is a possibility that they go to towns and, and regular places and test regularly. We're talking about this specific instance of an orphanage mm -hmm. where it's possible that whoever runs the area, after if you go to that orphanage two or three years in a row and there's not any new kids, then you go by mm -hmm. there and you're like, there's no new kids. Okay. So why do we keep coming here to test every year when there's not any new kids? Well, we could be, you know, at the Miller farm mm. where, you know, old lady Miller is putting out children every two or three <laughs> years. Right. We can test them every time we come to the area. But why do we go over this orphanage where there aren't any new mm -hmm. kids? So you might go to the orphanage every, I don't know, four or five years, you might come across a new kid. So they can treat orphanages differently than they would just a regular common town or a regular small town where they can go through you know, on the regular roads and hit these towns every year. So the orphanages are probably not, well, this, let's just stick to this specific orphanage. Okay, it didn't look like it was anywhere near a town or mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. It literally looked like it was out in the mm -hmm. middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's true. And we're not going to go out into the middle of nowhere every year when there aren't any new kids. So if a kid gets missed one year, it might be three or four years before they come back around just to check to see if there's anybody new. Right. There. Good thing I don't, they didn't hire me to do the job because I'd be on there every. <laughs> but but you, you don't know the logistics of it. it they don't really not you have tell me to test the kids. I'm going to test the kids. Well, here's the other thing, too. These are two other possibilities that I've thought about. Maybe one, whoever they're sending to the orphanage, maybe they're sending the same person year to year. Okay. Okay. If they find out that there are these two kids who keep hiding every time that they come, because I'm sure the headmistress is probably maybe obligated to tell them how many kids there are. Maybe she's not. Right. But there's a possibility that whoever that Grisha tester is, maybe they're against their will. Like maybe they didn't want to be part of the army. Maybe they didn't want to be mm. drafted into this life of service. And maybe they have a little empathy for these young kids and say, you know what, if they kind of, you know, if we kind of overlook somebody, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. That's one possibility. The other possibility could be maybe they don't test children after they get a certain age, because I mean, if you think about it, like with the matrix, what was the thing that Morpheus said? They never mm. free someone's mind after they get a certain age because for the older you are, the harder it is to handle the, the reality of what the world is. Maybe something okay. similar is like that with Grisha children. Maybe they only test them, like say up until they're 13 because once they hit puberty or once they hit right. whatever, mm. maybe they can't be trained or, you know, I'm just thinking that could be, that, that could be, you know what? And, and remember, yeah, didn't, didn't he say, didn't they say, when was the last time there was a kid who tested? He was like, oh yeah, it was like a few years ago, some kid named Lucian. Like, so. Okay. We, All right. I'll, okay. I'll drop it. A high probability that you would find anyone. And Hanako brings up the interesting point about the person who's actually running the thing. Right. It's possible, like, oh, wait, let's see. One, two, three. I thought you had 22 kids. There's 20. Two of them are hiding. 
Oh, fuck that. We'll just move on. I, okay. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you, okay. You, I'm not going to, it's like, I'm, I'm already kind of pissed off that I'm um, right. having to do this. Right, right. And, and I'm not going to chase two snotty little brats who chose not to be tested. And, you know, I'm meeting my quota. You know, I got four or five in the last town. We'll probably get two or three more in the next town. I'm not finna I'm not finna break my neck or break my back over two kids on high in the field. We'll just catch them next go around. Whenever we make our way. Yeah, they're probably they're probably not even paid enough to be chasing kids around, especially if it's for right. nothing. Like if it's, if they chase if they end up chasing these two kids down and they end up testing negative, he's like, I just wasted why don't we saw that? Like, I want to get in here, test these kids, and get out of the boonies. So I can get back okay, to I give uncle. I give. I give. Exactly. I want to get back. Get back. Uncle, I, I give. I give. Out with each other in the hay. I'm just not going to do that. Right. I just want. I just want to go. I want to go back to my fancy dishes with nice grapes in them and shit. And I'm tired. Right, of I want to watch Zora walk across you know, the corner. I give, uncle. <laughs> okay. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> But I understand. I, I, the thing is, there there are people like you know us, Lori, who take our job seriously, and we're going to put in one hundred and fifteen percent. Exactly. And if it were me, exactly. I'm going to find every goddamn piece of pie I get my hand on. But I have seen a meme recently. Nah, I saw a meme recently. Someone sent me, and it said, "Stop hoping people are like you." Yes, it's true. Because everybody, everybody is not going to be like this. Is true. You can't expect people to be like so. True. For you, for this you to be 115 percent, the other person is going to do 20 percent. I'll just start thinking logically about it. I'll be like, look, if I'm testing all these kids and they're not, uh, then they don't they don't test test positive. I'm like, oh, where 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 are these other kids? Oh, they're all hiding. Like, oh, okay, they either could be or they couldn't be. But since all these kids aren't, I don't feel like wasting my time. So screw all that. Like, all right, if they if they turn up, let me know. I don't care. All right, bye. Yeah, I just I, I would I would actually be like I, just, I would not want. Yeah, to do it like at all. if you like, were the person that's doing it, um, we're not we're not you know going in on your Lord. I'm just saying, if you're the person, oh I know, the I know, I, I understand. That's been doing it for the last seven or eight years, and yeah. you found one kid in in, in this particular yeah. orphanage in the last right. eight years. What's the likelihood of those two brats who are running around? Not trying to be tested are the likelihood is very low. Now, now are you going to get in trouble when one of them turns out years later to be the same son? Yeah, because I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Who who was testing at that orphanage? And I'm I'm going to break them over. But realistically, that particular Grisha might not even be alive once that once that fact comes to life. So I mean, (laughs) yeah, that that's true. I, I it, that was just Mike. I mean, you and Anthony, you made Michael, you, and all of you guys, you made excellent points, and you're right. But you know, it just it just bothered me a little bit because I'm like, okay, because I know how things are with people, you know, in books get around to this sort of thing. Because one of the tropes is testing a child to see if they have magical ability, and they usually seem to be pretty much sticklers on that point. But in this series, uh, it doesn't seem like it's all that. Hard and, hard and heavy. I mean, think about in the discovery of witches when Peter Knox went to test Diana. Remember, right, her parents right. hid her powers, and right, it right, never. Right. I mean, we talked about this too. It never occurred to him to go back and say, "Okay, maybe, maybe she just hadn't developed her powers at this point." He literally tested her, found no magical ability, 
and let it and go. Kept on moving. And we right, found right. out later. We find out later on after Diana is an adult and she's unbound that she is probably one of the most powerful witches ever. So yeah, it's. It, I don't think it's a hard thing to assume that. Oh, you know, once they missed these kids and didn't test them, that they were probably like, okay, well, whatever. Okay. Yeah, and they probably didn't have a weaver on staff at the orphanage either. So it's like they were just shit out of love. Since we're talking about, since we brought it up about, you know, Alina being tested, mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to talk about General Kerrigan, Kerrigan real quick. Who walks first around? Of all, first of all, before you get into the specifics, let's talk about the fact that Ben Barnes, General Kerrigan, oh, I just have to get that out the way. Let's just take a moment. Let's take a moment. I have to take a moment. Yeah, take a moment. Who's this person again? I I literally don't know who he is. Caspian. From where? um, I'm revoking your geek card right now. From Um, from he was also he was also in. he was Jigsaw and the Punisher. Punisher. Yeah. yeah, but he's Prince Caspian from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the sequel movie, Prince Caspian. Oh, I hate those movies. I didn't watch them. <sighs> I'm sorry. I have a problem with the whole religion movie thing. Okay. I, um, okay. I, 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 okay. I'm, I'm one of those. Okay. So, uh, okay. So, he, so let's just say he's a geek uh, love person. Okay. All right. I'll move on. Okay. So, so you know, I know I'm getting ahead of ahead of the recap, but oh no, it's fine. He, he has her in the thing, and he's like, you know, who are you? What are you? And she's like, I'm a map maker or whatever. Why does he have a testing thing? Why is he walking around with a testing thing, like the scratcher? Like, is is that was that? Part I don't of even the- know. I don't even know if that's what that is specifically. My thinking is that it might serve multiple purposes. Okay, it would be really weird for the boss man who doesn't probably test anyone to be walking around with that thing, just happen to have one. Look at look at it like this. They've been searching for the sun summoner, so he has to have a way to figure out if they have that power. And I've, obviously the thumb claw thing is a way to figure out if that person has sun summoning powers. So it would behoove him to keep it on him just in case something like this happens where actually someone comes up having the powers of a sun summoner where he can just go and test them and confirm that. So that that's not on a set schedule. I think that's just a regular... I mean, it could happen at I any time. I think it's time. just a regular tester. I don't think it's a special sun summoner tester. I think it's just a... That's, that's a like tester. people who run around with the poison ring who just yeah, happen to have... Say, I, I look at it as a... It, it could be a weapon too. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, some people have those rings with the little well in it that you flip open. It's like a dove or whatever. You flip it open. There's like a little thing of poison or underneath. There's a scratcher. They can scratch someone and poison them. Yeah. Some people actually have those yeah. laying around. I don't I, have one. Don't ask. I just kind of. I wouldn't be surprised if you did. It just seems a little. Okay. That's like Superman walking around with a pocket knife. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. No, but think about it. Think about it. The Sun Summoner is very important to them because it would basically eliminate the fold. Why wouldn't you carry something around that if someone, if something comes up and they say, oh, there's some summoner. He's like, oh yeah, no, they're not. Even though he might cut somebody's throat in the process, but that's all, that's a whole nother issue. He ain't got to worry about that. He's trying to find the Sun Summoner. Okay. So so I I keep thinking, I I think, I feel like it's kind of like, 
I mean, granted, Kim carrying it around is kind of like Prince Charming carrying around the glass slipper and like putting in like trying to fit everybody's fat ass foot in it. But I just I, I still feel like that's kind of what it is. Okay, I me. thought I was saying maybe he just happens to carry around the thing in, in case he comes across someone who's like, oh, you like you might be a Grisha scratch. No, you're not scratch. No, you're not. So he's basically carrying a Swiss Army knife like we all do. We all, everyone has a Swiss Army knife, right? So we all carry it sure. with us whether we want it or not. We just happen to have it. It's got the corkscrew, it's got the scissors, it's got the nail file, it's got whatever. So we all just have it and just reach in your pocket. Oh, I guess you're a Grisha. But yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest. After what we see in this episode, we know he don't need no damn Swiss Army. Well, knife. yeah, that's you don't need that shit at all. This was, at that all. was my point about yeah, I, it being a weapon. Like, yeah. well, why would he even bother with a little tiny weapon? Exactly. That's why. That's why I think it's a tester. Well, here's the thing. He doesn't need a weapon. I. Here's the thing too. One thing that we do learn about him in this episode is that. Yes, he's very powerful. He has this very powerful weapon, which is that he can summon shadows and he can use it as a weapon. However, we also see that he is kind of feared, even by other Grisha. Like, even in the when we first meet him and he's in the tent and he's questioning Alina about who she is. And you know, he asks her, what are you? And she introduces herself. I'm Alina Starkoff. What, you know, she, she introduces herself with her name and her rank and where she's from. And then he asks her again, like, what are you? And she was like a map maker, sir. And everybody starts laughing. He says, quiet, like really under his voice and the whole room stops. So you already know this man is, he commands some respect, but he also, those kind of people, who can quiet a room like that? That's a dangerous man, even if he isn't coming across that way initially. But I kind of got the feeling later on in the episode when, when they're attacked, when they're trying to transport Alina to the little palace and he has to come in and save her. It's almost like he uses the power, but at the same time, he's very... He seems to be very mindful of using it in a fatal way, you know, in that sense. So maybe the, the little thumbpricker or whatever we're calling it, maybe that's something that he does use as a weapon when he doesn't want to be as lethal or as bloody. Because, I mean, he literally sliced a man in several pieces with his power. Not all dangerous situations call for that kind of violence you get what i'm saying like maybe all you need to do is just maybe all you have to do is just prick somebody in the neck and and give them the option to okay you can either bleed to death or i can save you you can tell me what i need to know you know maybe it's just there for that kind of nudge (laughs) i'm just saying okay so okay while you brought him Slicing and dicing the the dude, you know, when they're carrying yes, like he was in the kitchen because <laughs> they're transporting Alina to the little palace and they get attacked by what were they called? Driscoll, Driscoll, Driscoll. So yeah, yeah. he comes in at the end to save her and, and he's like, You ride with me. One, why was she not with him to begin with? 
Stop, Hanukkah. I, Stop it. I, what? <laughs> I, I didn't say that. What? <laughs> that was no- Missed that. No, no. Okay. Nothing. For our listening Nothing. audience who can't visualize this, right when Anthony said, what? First of all, who's going to want to ride with you? And Mahanako's like, ah, me, ah, me. And she's like, she she gave, she straight gave the honey, oh, honey girl, me. I'll be, I'll be on that horse with him all day. We ain't got to stop at nothing. And I'm like, without oh, hesitation. And I can say this very confidently because there was a long period of time when I would just look at Ben Barnes and just kind of look at him kind of like, because I really thought he was way, way, way younger than me, but I just found out he's only like five, six years younger than me. So I can openly lust for him and not feel guilty about it. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, we're at that age where we're like, how old are you? Yeah, Alice Hodge, that's all I'm gonna say. When you realize you're old enough to be the person's mother, you're like, never mind. Yeah, wow. see, I see, I have that issue a lot. So I like, I tried, especially if it's some, if, especially if it's something where I'm used to them playing like a younger character. So I just kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, he's cute, whatever. And then I just happened. I was like, wait, he looks a lot older than I think him to be. And I also always look because when, like, the actress who plays. Alina, Jesse May Lee, she looks like she's a lot younger. So I just always look to see like, what is the age dispar- disparity? Because one, some of these actors and actresses can be 50 years old playing a teenager, Bianca Lawson, I'm looking at you. Yeah, and I was gonna say that. They would never, <laughs> ever look their age. I mean, she's not 50, but I mean, she's my age and she is an eternal teenager. Actually, I mean, she's a little younger. She's she's about three years younger because I actually looked her age up the other day. Yeah, but I'm but, she's she's in but. the age range. She can play a teenager. So I'm always nowadays I'm always looking up people's ages and and seeing how old they are. But we're if, getting off. If track she plays now. one more teenager, <laughs> but we're well, now she's moved, yeah. now she's moved up to her mid twenties. Still, yeah. But you know. To answer your question, Anthony, so we don't go no, too so far. I, I was I was trying to say that he's like, you ride with me now. And of course, we'd all want to do mm-hmm. that. But why wasn't she riding with him to begin with? We knew how- I think maybe, I think maybe to kind of, I, I think if she was riding with him to start off with, that would be obvious to a lot of people and they would probably still try to attack. I think him sending her in a carriage with some other Grisha, it could have been that they were just taking somebody else. It could have been somebody unimportant. I think he was trying to deflect, you know, to make to make sure that the Druskella didn't know, hey, this is somebody really, really important. But of course, you know how things are murmurs of rumors spread and somehow the Druskella found out that they had an important Grisha or just the fact that they were attacking Grisha. I, I well, don't know, he, but I he, think maybe he, he thought... He already answered that because she asked him and he's like, well, everybody saw the flash of light. Mm-hmm. So they were... He said, I think they said they were there probably on some other mission and got diverted after they saw the burst of yeah. light. So... Yeah. Right. I think I, I, I was thinking I was thinking that maybe him being the manipulative bastard that he probably is kind of set it all up to be a hero to her. 
to to I could see to, that, but here's the other thing too. You don't put all your coins in one basket. If he is one end of the spectrum and she's the other, because I'm going to assume that they have to work together in order to bring the fold down, or that is the assumption. It's kind of like a yin, yin and yang thing. You don't put them both in the same place and allow, it's kind of like having the president and the vice president. When there's an attack, they don't bunker together. You put them in two separate places so that if one is attacked, the other one is safe. I feel like that was kind of the situation here. Like you don't want to have the two most powerful Grisha or what could be the two most powerful Grisha traveling together because if they're attacked and they're both killed everything goes to shit i, I have a feeling as far I, as the goes. i have a feeling that he is not worried about anybody at all the way that he has man no walks around the way he talks that to could people, be true i don't think he's worried about anybody attacking him whatsoever so that's why i think he's he's he he set it up to where he would be her hero because it, it just it just seemed a little bit too convenient that oh he happens to come along be right where she was like oh well let me save her by slicing this guy into a thousand. I pieces. understand that, yeah. and he okay. could have been keeping tabs. But at the same time, even though he is powerful and he's probably as powerful as we think he is, he may not be invincible. Let's think. Speaking of, let's think about invincible, Omni Man. Omni-Man is the strongest person on that show, okay? He was able to take down the Guardians of the Globe, seven of them, by himself. But he was still hurt enough by two of them that it was almost life-threatening for him. Even the strongest person has weaknesses and can be vulnerable. That could be the, the, the case with him. Now, I'm agreeing with you. Now that you say it like that, yeah, I think he might have been manipulating the situation. But again, right now, we don't know enough about his character to make that assumption. But of course, this is a fantasy. This is the, the classic, uh, you know, good girl. Bad boy. Potential, potential love interest and the bad boy. So we already know this is going to go sideways at some point during this show. Okay, so fun fact. When wolves walk in packs, they put the weaker people in the middle. They put their strongest ones in the front. And the leader is always in the back. So I would put forth the theory that he was always there. He just played the back just so he could keep an eye on everybody, keep an eye on things and see. Because if he's if he's in the front, like you said, he's going to be in the middle of everything instead of him having a him having the vantage point of being from behind and seeing where all the um invaders are coming from so this is uh, to me it's just kind of like kind of I, I see what anthony's saying and that very well could be could be true that he's manipulating the situation but i'm i kind of still see it as maybe maybe he's just being a typical leader of the pack and he's just keeping an eye on everything and making sure that nothing's going wrong okay well, I, that, I agree with that, that. Sounds that good. Uh, yeah I, I like that, that that sounds like a very viable i, I like that yeah. We don't do theories here, yeah. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I have a theory. Don't, don't do theory. I'm still not ashamed of it, Anthony. I'm not ashamed of it. I like you theory. don't do theories. <laughs> you don't do theories. You scaredy cat. I'm not, but that's I ain't scared. Okay. <laughs> I ain't scared. <laughs> no, no, I have a shirt that says "No theories here." Nuh-uh. Do you really? Nuh-uh. No, I, 
<laughs> now, real oh, okay. now, let me write that down. We, I, I was gonna say we probably need to get you. I, I'm, I'm saying keep playing around. Down. I'm gonna order one. I'm gonna find your address. I'm gonna drop it off at your front door. No serious here. <laughs> but let's go back a little bit. Let's let's talk about what happens inside the tent. So when Alina is escorted to meet General General Kerrigan, he does like the first thing he asks her is, "What are you? Not who are you? What are you?" Already assuming that she is Grisha. Given and I've I've seen a couple other things. Given the way that race is treated in this in this show, especially towards Alina, some people have taken it like, okay, he's asking her what she is like. She's not human or she's different. I didn't take it that way. I I really think that he he had her brought to his tent with the notion that she's something more than she claims to be. And I think his line of questioning was trying to gauge whether or not she knew and she was keeping it secret. I mean, we do know that there are some Grisha who are hiding out. We find this out uh, in the episode in Ketterdam where there's a woman who escaped from East Ravka because her daughter's a Grisha. They didn't want to get pulled into the war. So I think he was just kind of assessing what she is right now. Like, are you Grisha? Do you know that you're Grisha? Like, what are you? Are you hiding your powers? I, and I think also there might have been a little bit of, I won't say disbelief, but maybe skepticism, you know, because everybody's saying, oh, yeah, we think we found the Sun Summoner. This is somebody who is supposed to be a myth. And apparently somebody who Kirigan has been looking for for a long time. So trying to ascertain whether or not this is actually her, he's probably being a little cautious right now. And when he starts asking people like who was there, who saw what happened, Zoya gives him a very matter of fact rundown. You know, we were on the skiff, we had passed the second marker, the light, the flame went out, someone lit a lantern, the Volker attacked, and then there was the searing light. And immediately the guy next to her, she he was like, She did it. She's the son summoner. I mean, that's literally the the energy he was giving. He was like, it was her. And so Kerrigan asks her, hey, can you, you know, he's like, can you summon light? And she's looking again. She has this look. She seems confused by the question, but at the same time, she doesn't seem confused by the question. It's almost like she's listening to him ask this and she's uncomfortable because she doesn't think she can, but also at the same time, it's like in the back of her mind, she knows that she might be able to, but she's scared to say it. Again, it's, it's kind of like the way we saw her in, in that first scene when they were talking about the Grisha testing. I think maybe in the back of Alina's mind, she's always known that there was something different about her. And she was just scared to let that be known. But it comes across in her face very clearly in this scene. She's kind of like uncomfortable because he's asking her this and she's scared. Also, because she's like, I don't want this to be true. I don't want this to be true. I don't know if it's that she didn't want it to be true or that she just didn't want to find, she didn't want anybody to find out. Not only because it will make her different in that she would be Grisha, but I think also that would, in her mind, probably put an immediate wall or some immediate distance between her and Mal. Yeah, I think this is this is kind of like a like the X-Men mutant trope when when mutants first first find their powers or when their powers find them 
At first, they're scared. They want nothing to do with it. They don't want anyone to find out about it. They don't want anybody to know about it. So they keep it and they keep it to themselves. And any time, any chance that comes about where they could be found out, they per they purposely avoid it so that they can kind of they can go on living a normal life, not really knowing that as soon as their powers develop, their normal life is pretty much in the wind. You can't, you're not gonna have a normal oh, life after that's that. That's normal. Yeah. Right. So it's like I think that's I think you're on to something. I think that's probably what happened. Like maybe something something happened where she found out not like around anyone else but maybe just like she saw her hands glowing or something like that and she knew something was up so she knew that she didn't want to get tested because they would find out that there was something with her and they would take her away and she didn't know what would happen would they run tests on her would they she didn't know what what they would do to her so she kept it under wraps so I mean yeah. that's definitely something that to think about as far as that goes the other thing too is i would think that um you know her being grisha and having that kind of magic in her veins you would think that she would know that she's different she could probably feel it and probably like i said she probably suspected but didn't want to voice that because then that you know if she's Grisha, that means her whole entire existence changes. But you, I don't, especially her being the Sun Summoner, there is no way that she had that in her body, in her soul, and she didn't know. She might have felt it. She might have intuitively known that there was something different about her. But like Hanukkah said, she was sort of in denial about it because she knew whatever it was, it would be something that would take her away from Mal. Mm -hmm. She knew. She knew she just she was just hiding it. I mean, you're right. There's no way you can. I mean, your body on the basic level has to function differently. Right. She's either got to be hypersensitive or she's like Wolverine got this weird healing ability. Something that lets her know not on a daily basis, but every once in a while that you might not be normal. Yeah. So you're saying the old girl basically never accidentally cut herself and let all the sunlight didn't come out? She didn't have the special scratcher, Lori. <laughs> well, I mean, we know she scratched herself because she cut her hand in order to um, to test different. So Yeah, but she was a baby. I'm talking about now. Because it seems, the so, only reason I'm saying that is if they could take the little thumb thing and go like that and it comes out, you told me she didn't, I mean, Maybe it, maybe it has to maybe it has to penetrate to a certain depth. Like you can you can cut yourself, and it be superficial and and not have anything happen. But when you cut yourself deep, you know it's different. Like that's something you have to like really tend to. You have to get stitches in order for it to heal. That sort of thing. Maybe it's the same thing with her. And then maybe also, you know, a, a lot of the Grisha or at least her powers, it seems like some of it is tied to emotion. Yeah, and if, if she's is. really suppressing that, then maybe she, it wouldn't come out the way that we think it would. You know, if she, if she has that much fear of what that knowledge would do or what that reveal would do, then yeah, it probably wouldn't burst forth from her. So, so you're saying she's like credence. Yeah. Yeah. All her stuff. Yeah. That would, that would yeah. make sense. It, it, she may not, like I said, she may not 
know specifically. She may just have a feeling that she's different. And it's just like, you know what, just in case I might be Grisha, I'm not going to do this test because then me and Mal won't be together right. anymore. But, you know, it's kind of funny with that too because who's to say that Mal wasn't Grisha? Mal could have tested. I mean, think about it. He was so different mm-hmm. from all the other kids. He could have been Grisha too. And, and if, if, I if I had a theory... If I had to do, <laughs> write this down in your notebook, if Mike. I, had I got. I'm, if I had to do, it would be that Val might be a Grisha or something. Okay. I actually agree yeah. with you on that. I think that he actually might haven't gone ahead and spoiled, so I don't know. Right. But I, I get the feeling that he might actually be Grisha, and I think he may not be the only one. Because mm-hmm. there, there are. I, I hate to, you know, we do this all the time. There are precedents and other fantasy novels and stories where when certain conditions are met things start Mm -hmm. happening and changing there'll be more of a certain type of person other people will become their magic would increase or powers that people thought were long past all of a sudden return it's a as laura would say it's a common fantasy trope for when the prophesied person comes, everything that the pr- person needs to fulfill their obligation or to fulfill the prophecy come into place. And Mal could be one of those people. Or, look, follow me here. Mal starts with M. M starts with Mephisto. So Mal could be Mephisto. Oh, you know what? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is why we don't do theories anymore. No, I what I was gonna say is I kind of agree with you. Even just watching these first two episodes, I really feel like there's more to Mal's character than we are being shown. But saying that, if it turns out that Mal is a Grisha and they give him the fan treatment, I'm gonna throw something at my TV. Like, you can't make somebody pick up a lightsaber and be able to use a lightsaber and then not make him a Jedi. I don't, don't get me started on that. But all I'm saying is, if Mal is going to be a Grisha, they better make him a motherfucking powerful Grisha and not just some whatever. That's, that's oh, by saying. the way, that's, maybe, that's, maybe he's, that's maybe he's the last. Maybe he's the last airbender of the Grisha where he has all three powers. He can be the last airbender of the Grisha. I would not mind. I'm just saying if they're going to make him a Grisha, if it turns out that he is a Grisha, he better be powerful and they better not give him the fin treatment. That's all I'm saying. Okay, real quick. He better be a squalor. Stop calling. (laughs) Okay, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. Real quick. uh, Real quick. I'm looking at the scene again, and it, right right before he asked her if she had been tested, and she kind of hemmed and hawed. He, he said something about "let's make sure," and then he took mm-hmm. the took the took the scratchy thing off his off his his pinky finger and put it on his thumb. So, leads me to believe that that thing is the thing that they would have used in the orphanage to test for to test the Grisha to see if they had powers. Like maybe if you if you scratch scratch a squalor, like wind would blow out of the wound, or if you te- you scratch an inferni, fire would come out of the wound, or something like that. But either way, I think I think that's what that's what that thing is, and, and that's why. I mean, maybe maybe he goes around testing people to see if they're maybe he was a or it's it's just a Grisha tester. 
instead yeah. of like looking for the, the, the summer, maybe looking for a sun summer. It's, maybe it's just a general Grisha tester. It could be. But, um, you know, while we were talking about Mal, Mal is in the medical tent and he has regained consciousness. And of course, he wakes up. First thing he does is ask for Alina. And when he finds out that they took her to General Kerrigan's tent, he asks why. And they're like, because they think she's the sun summoner. He immediately, like, hurt and everything. One thing I will say about Mal, and we've already speculated that he's probably in love with Alina, but even if he's not, even as a best friend, Mal is ride or die for this girl. He's like, nope, mm -mm, gotta go save her. And the dude was like, why? He was like, do you, he was like, she's not Grisha. And do you know what they would do to her if they find out she's not like, they probably would have tried to blame Alina if she wasn't the sun summoner. Oh, she, she did some kind of trick to make us think she was the sun summoner. Like, mm -hmm. like she would have invited that kind of attention on herself for, for whatever reason. But Mal is like, going after her he's like no it's not her she's not Grisha I know her better than anyone and that poor baby I felt so bad for him when that burst of light came out the tent mm -hmm. because you could see he was hurt you could see he was scared you could see he was in disbelief but I mean Alina was too but she looked more scared and startled like it's one of those things where like we said we think she had some kind of knowledge that she might have been Grisha that she might have been different I don't think she ever thought she was the sun summoner because again this person is supposed to be a myth but I think the fact that she finds out that she is Grisha I think that was enough to, for her to be like oh shit <laughs> you know she looked scared she looked startled and at the same time, she looked like, she almost looked like, uh-uh, take this back. I don't want this. This is not what I want. I don't want this. Take it away from me. Because again, we know that at that moment, her life is going to be different. Her life is pretty much not hers anymore. She's like the Messiah. She is the long-awaited solution to the huge, however many miles long problem they have had in Rafka, which is the fold. But again, her, even when he was telling her to lift up her sleeve, she was looking like, you know, she started getting startled because you see the shadows, like the tent starts getting darker. And of course, at this point, we don't know about Kirigan being the darkling, or we don't know for sure what his power is. We don't find this out until later on in the episode, but she gets scared. And she's just kind of like, no, don't want to do this. But of course, what is she going to do? Where is she going to run? You know, the thing I did like about this scene, and this is something that, again, I'm not familiar with the book series yet. I do have them. I do plan to read them, but I don't know about it yet. But one of the things that I have heard that they've changed from the books to the show are a couple of instances where interactions between the two characters could have been portrayed or were portrayed in the books as more forced whereas in this scene there is actual consent because take you know cutting into somebody's arm that's kind of personal 
you know, and the way that he approached her at first, he's like, lift up your sleeve. And he's putting the thing on his thumb, like he's about to cut into her without her permission. And then when she hesitates, he tells her again, lift up your sleeve, please. And when she, when he says that, that's when she lifts up her sleeve. It's something very minor, but it's something that I noticed and something that I appreciated. Like if it would have started out with him forcing her to reveal that that's something intimate about a person. That's almost like bearing your soul to someone. You are literally bearing what's inside of you for the world to see. That's not something you do lightly. And that's not something that you do by force. So I like the fact that they put that in there. Just that one little word, please. It, cha it changes the whole context of the scene for me, at least. Yeah, that, that's a good point. You know, but... <sighs> He cuts into her arm, the tent lights up, all aglow, and Mal's face, that poor baby. He's just, I mean, he's so he's so crushed that he allows himself to be taken back to the medical tent with no, like he has no fight in him left because it's almost like everything about his world too is about to change. You know, Alina is not necessarily the person he thought she was, or I would say in that aspect, but you got to kind of wonder too, whether Mal also had an inkling that Alina might be different. You know, all those times that she saved herself or that she ran off with him, avoided taking the test, cut her hand so that the test would automatically come, come up negative. And I think Mal knew that she cut her hand. So you got to think somewhere in his mind, in the back of his mind, he probably had an inkling that she was Grisha too. Yeah, he definitely did. Well, I think he definitely knew some, he probably in the back, it's just like always, like two people are the characters. One of them has a secret. The other one always sees things and has a nagging, nagging doubt in the back of their mind that something's off and they just can't put their finger on it. And that's mm -hmm. probably what happened with him where he just had, he, it was something that he just couldn't put his finger on or that he just did not want to believe, but it still doesn't really change how he feels about her. Like it, and it's like the fact that this whole thing is probably going to separate them, probably hurts him more than her keeping a secret from him you know what i'm saying like, right. it's like because they've been together pretty much their whole life so the fact that he's they're going to be separated probably hurts way more than that yeah and then it's also you have to think about it on another level too now that they know that she is grisha he probably realizes or at least you would think that he would realize just how much she has sacrificed for him because everybody knows if you test as Grisha, you're taken away to live in the little palace. Like, um, like Ford told the kids, he was like, yeah, you get to live in a fancy palace and you get to sleep in real beds and you get to have like fancy food and stuff. She could have had a different life if she had tested Grisha earlier. And the fact that she didn't to stay behind with him, you have to think that maybe he might have a little bit of guilt about that too. Now that he knows that she is Grisha and knows her life could have been so different. She could have been far away from the war. She could have been far away from all of that mess. They would have been apart, but she would have been safe. And just what I've seen from Mal's character, 
that's more important to him than anything is that Alina is safe. So you know he's got, you know he's got to feel a little bit of guilt about that too. Probably once it once his mind wraps around the fact that oh my God, Alina is Grisha. It's it's going to change a lot of things, not just for her but for him as well. And unfortunately, now this time they are really separated because of course she's whisked away to go to the little palace he has to stay behind and it was so sad because she just kept telling him i'm sorry i didn't know i didn't know i didn't know and at that point he was just like i don't care alina where you going where y'all taking her bring her back or i'm going with her he was just like okay i processed your creature i don't care is that train is that train station scene where they where one of them's going away on the train and they're like come back come back all she all she was missing was the little handkerchief to be dangling out the window and waving at him with like goodbye no. i'm sorry you know but I mean. yes i'm i'm gonna say it right now i am i i do ship madeline alina so you know i know there are people who are shipping her and kerrigan you're busy shipping yourself and kerrigan stop it <laughs> no 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 because here's the thing i like ben barnes kerrigan i already know that's about to be a toxic character i haven't had enough toxic relationships in my life <laughs> i don't like them alina doesn't she doesn't know mm-mm, mm-mm, no i am a melina shipper nope mm-mm. but we'll get back to all of them in a minute let's go back to ketterdam for a little bit so Back in Ketterdam, Inej and Kaz are having a slight disagreement about the job that Kaz has now signed them up for. And I think Inej has, she has some misgivings about this on a couple of fronts. One, she's like, we only have five hours or six hours to prepare for this. We are no nowhere near ready to take on this job. Two, within these six hours, they have to find a feasible way to get through the fold, which most people that they've encountered have told them there is no way for them to do. Third has to do with this symbol on Inez's wrist where she says she cannot leave Ketterdam and go on this trip with him. And before we realize what that symbol means, we just know that there's something about it that, that's tying her to Ketterdam. And they go back and forth. Kez is like, no, you'll be able to go. I figured out a plan. And she's like, no, no plan. She was like, I know, I know you. I know when you're lying. I know when you don't have stuff figured out. No, this is not going to work. I have to stay here. And Kez is like, well, then you just stay here. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. Can we all, can, can we all agree? There is something there between Kez and Kez and Inez. He is. Yeah, speaking so of shipping people. Into her yeah. No, because it is no. Whatever, whatever. You like can't that. have her. You can't have her. No. <laughs> no, I I think she's into him too. I'm telling you, it's like he's here, she's here. They look at each other and then they turn away. And then they look at each other and they there's, turn away. There's a lot of oh no, they there. are definitely no, each other. No, they are into I, each other. No, yeah. <laughs> whatever anthony we're not paying you any attention but it's kind of like like i said in the last episode it's kind of like one of those they're trying to keep it all business but there's little bits of of unguarded emotion or unguarded feelings that come out 
a little bit. And when Kaz says that to her, he was like, well, you just stay here. She looked at him. She was like, you know what? I'm not going to be here when you get back. He's like, fuck. Like, hey, and then, she, I, and she's gone. That chick, I don't know what she does. She's she's apparating or doing something. She's got some Harry Potter tricks up her sleeve. That chick was gone. Like, he didn't even have time to say, okay, I'm, I was stupid. I didn't mean to say, like, he couldn't even, he got her name out and she was already gone. He's just like. He's a ninja. Ninjette? No, she's a ghost. She she really is a ghost. She's got to be. But, you know, the next scene that we see them or we see him, he hears footsteps coming into his office and he thinks that this is a Nesh and he's, you know, it looks like he's gearing up to apologize and he realizes it's not a Nesh. It's two very nefarious looking gentlemen who come into his office and Kaz knows these guys are not here on a friendly visit. So he takes his cane, he tries to attack them, but there's two of them. And I'm sorry, I love Kaz, I really do. He does not look like the type who can butt with two built dudes that are obviously bodyguards for Ke- Pecker Rollins. So they rough him up a little bit. They put him on his knees. Here comes Pecker Rollins. And Pecker Rollins is doing what Pecker Rollins does best. He's threatening people saying, hey, let's make a deal. You give me what I want or I kill you. What the fuck kind of deal is that? That's not a deal. That's an ultimatum. That's how he structures his deals. It's like with the the guy the last time. He's Uh like, hmm, you can have 10% of your business or I kill you. Yeah, we see how that turned out. So, but you know, something about Kaz, like he, he's kind of defiant towards Pekka and you already get in this scene, even before the conversation he has with Jesper, you get in this scene that there is some kind of history between these two, but it's kind of weird because Pekka obviously doesn't know Kaz. Like he comes in and he's like, oh, Mr. Brecker. He's addressing him like this is a person he's never met, never seen. And even after he gives Kaz his quote unquote deal, Kaz says, let me ask you a question. Have you and I ever done a deal before? And Pekka says, no, because if we had, you'd either know better or you'd be dead. And then later on, when Kaz goes into the club and sees Jesper, He tells Jesper, he's like, I've been warned off the job. And when he tells him it was from Pecker Rollins, Jesper says, did he recognize you? And uh, Kaz is like, no, if he did, I'd be dead. I want to know what what this history is like. First of all, how is it that, or maybe maybe I just answered my own question in my head. My question was going to be, how is it that if they've done dealings with each other before, how is it that Pekka Rollins doesn't recognize Kaz? It could have been something that they done that they did when Kaz was younger. We already know that in Ketterdam, brothels are a thing. It could have been something of that nature, you know, where I I, I don't know, but I, I don't want to say that Pekka is not too bright because you know you don't get to be in this position without making some smart moves. Right. But you would think you would remember everyone he made a deal with. And also, it seemed like sort of an oddball question based on the situation for him to ask, have, have we ever done a deal together? Like, I was like, why are you right. asking me this? 
Well, Pecker should have been racking his brain yeah. thinking, well, maybe I do know this. Right. Guy. But, you know, he just moved on. But I, so. I feel like whatever the history was between them, one, Cass had to have had a different name. Two, he had to look different. That's why I feel like it might have been something that happened when Cass was a little bit younger. You know, some some people, when they grow up, they look the same. Some people, their looks completely change. We don't know what the situation is, but obviously Kaz knows Pekka Rollins. Maybe whatever the deal was that happened between them or whatever the situation was that happened bet- between them, maybe in Pekka's mind, Kaz wasn't really anything worth remembering. You know, one of those things where this person is no threat to me. This person doesn't mean much to my business, doesn't mean much to my everyday life. And it kind of dismisses him. And those are the people that are usually the most dangerous because you've dismissed them. You've made it known or seen that this person doesn't matter to you. They're just they're just another random face. Those random faces are the ones that get you. Or maybe I wonder, wonder yeah. if it's something where he'd recognize him just because I don't know why this occurred to me, but maybe Pekka had dealings with like his father or something. I mean, it, because like maybe he looks just like his father and his father had dealings with him and he had maybe his father owes a debt or something like that. Like that, I don't know why that occurred to me. It's just like because I'm, I'm thinking like y'all were thinking, like if he. If he would have done, if he would done a deal with him, he would have. I don't think Pekka would have forgotten what who he was. Okay, like maybe maybe Kaz looks like his his dad, like yeah. right, right. Like he might look like his father, and you know, the older he gets, the more right. he looks like his father, or maybe there might be a familiar familial look to him. Or maybe maybe he doesn't look like his father at all, or but it could be something where Pekka had dealings with Kaz's father and maybe it didn't work out well for Kaz's father and maybe Kaz wants revenge but he was younger so that's that could be why yeah. Pekka doesn't yeah. recognize him it could be one of those things but I'm intrigued so mm-hmm. you know I, I want to find still out more like about that, that. Uh, all but, I have um, to say is that um when we get to the stuff with Pekka I am going to be very very excited because no spoilers I am reading uh, Six of Crows right now. And all I'm going to say is that it's very fascinating. And I'm godsmacked that they actually put it in mm. the series. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, okay. All right. But going back to the bar, poor Jesper, I need them to stop taking his drinks. For real. <laughs> for real. And he's paying for it. Oh, it's not, it's not like. It's not a shot. He keeps ordering shots and people keep taking shots. I'm like, y'all going to pay for these drinks? Like, I mean, he just keeps, I mean, damn. I mean, of course, he couldn't do anything with it. If Inez takes my right. drink, I think Inez if, too. if Inez takes my drink, I'm just going to be like, okay, there ain't shit I could do about that. I'm not trying to get stabbed. But like Kaz, I'd have to, I have to seriously consider smacking him upside the head. Like, y'all need to chill. Kaz like, is the boss. I don't, I said I don't consider. Think I, don't think I said I'd consider boss. it. I didn't say I'd actually do it because I need a job. I'd consider it more so than I'd consider doing anything to an Inez and getting stabbed right but while they're in the bar first is jesper and inez and they're talking and of course they're having a discussion about Cass because inez is like he doesn't know what he's doing he has no plan you know he has no plan <laughs> and we're supposed to just follow him when he has no plan jesper i will say is loyal jesper is like he's gonna figure it out he always does but then inez gets a call 
or she gets a message and the message is nothing but a piece of paper and it has a stamp on it of a bird cage and it's the same stamp that she has on her wrist and it belongs to the menagerie which you know we heard mentioned in episode one but we weren't quite sure what it was but I kind of figured out what it might have been especially considering the fact that she mentioned that Kaz was paying her indenture I was like oh and Nash probably belongs to one of those brothels. That seems to be a, a that seems to be a popular business in this show because I think one of the ladies that they spoke to in episode one, when they were trying to find out how to get across the fold, I think she was also a brothel owner too, because because they talked about the fact that she brings girls over. You know, just ugh, whatever. <sighs> but. So Inej leaves to go to the menagerie. Cass comes in. And like I said, he approaches Jesper. He takes Jesper's drink. And then he tells Jesper, hey, go wash the door. And then he starts casing his club. And he's looking around for something. And his attention falls on this lady who is counting money. And he makes, you know, he makes a series of, of hand moves and head gestures to one of his guys and brings her into his office. And and basically what happens is he was looking at the way she counts money and something about the way she counts money. I think he said something, he asked her where she was from because when she started counting money in his office, he stopped her and says, where are you from? And she tries to tell them that she's from East Rafka. I think that's what she said, East Rafka or West Rafka. She said West Rafka. And Kaz tells her, he's like, no, you're lying because Rafkins count their money in a certain way. And she's like, no, I'm from West Rafka. He's like, wrong again. People from West Rafka don't say West Rafka. There is either Rafka or old Rafka. So we find out that this is the lady that I mentioned earlier. She and her daughter are from East Rafka. They fled from the country, well, from that side of the country because her daughter is Grisha and they didn't want to, they didn't want her to be pulled into the war. So that means they came across the fold, which means they have a way to get across the fold because his question is, I need to know how you came across the fold unscathed and undetected because at this point she's got to be a fugitive that's kind of the way i'm getting it if your child is a grisha you have to serve that's kind of the the gist i'm getting and they didn't want that so they escaped so she's now fugitive she's living in west rafka and kaz is like okay i need to know how you got over here and so she tells him look there's a guy I don't know his name. He calls himself the conductor. He brought us over on some mode of transport. We don't know what it is. He covered our heads in hoods. It was very loud, but we got over here. I'm like, what kind of transport do you have that's loud where you were able to come through the fold? Come on, they, you, they're playing it by the numbers. I know. Conductor. I know. It's very loud. I know. <laughs> I know, but my thing is, if the Volcra are attracted to noise, how do you get across the fold in a train? Extremely fast. 
<laughs> Man, it's going to be faster than those stupid sailboats they use. I'm sorry, with the, squ- now, with now, the squallers. Now, from the first episode, they Squalling. didn't say they didn't say Volker were attracted to noise. They said light, not noise. Light, not noise. Light. <sighs> so maybe they're point. deaf. Light. And all light but blue light. Obviously, you know, blue light. Yeah, but on the, on the skiff, one, they're traveling on sand and the skiffs are quiet. Two, when everything started going down, what was the thing they were telling everybody? Be quiet. Stay down. Be quiet. Shh. Shh. Well, if you turn off the lights and get quiet, they might leave you alone, but the light is definitely going to draw them their attention. Because uh, well, it's probably a noisy place anyway. They make noise. so. Yeah, but a train is like a whole different level of noise. But, okay, anyway. Well, I mean, I, I don't think they're bats. So n- noise is probably not as easy to find something like that if there's noise, but it's really easy to find if there's light. Okay. Like, they can probably find them because of the noise, but if it's traveling fast enough, then it's not, not a big deal. But it don't matter how fast you're going, if I can see where you are, mm-hmm. right, I'm going to find you. That, that's the problem with yeah, the I think it, I think it was a, more of a sight thing than a hearing thing for them mm-hmm. yeah and, and and i do want to say uh props to kaz i want to give him his props for noticing or counting the money in a weird yeah, way yeah yeah his his observation so, skills are really up there like like he was he was scanning like well i mean he runs a he runs a like it looks like yeah a, a, yeah he's like a pit boss in a casino yeah and and yeah. they they notice those kinds of things because that's how you kind of check if somebody's cheating. I mean, he knew what tables she had been on. He knew what game she had been playing. Well, all he knew week. she was counting cards. Yeah, she comes in. He knows that she's been counting cards, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh wait, she's also counting her money weirdly too." Yeah, he may have yeah. noticed her before and just realized yeah, what the connection was. Right. He didn't need the information right. before. Right. Now he needs the information. Because who pays attention to how someone counts their money? I mean, I, I've seen... Well, yeah. I mean, I've seen people, you know, just relatives count money one way, and then the next time I see them count money like three or four different ways, and they never count the money the same way, but then again, I have that one relative who always counts his money weird, but he does it every single time, so to me, it's normal. So yeah, I I can always tell people who used to be cashiers. Yeah, because we were, put our bills the same way. They yeah, put the bills and the same yeah. way. And when they, before they, and when they put yes. it down, and they do the count, you count with them. When they put the money down, you tell me. I just check the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, but elsewhere in Ketterdam, while Kaz is figuring out this information, Inej is at the menagerie, and it's so funny. So. I talk about watching the show with my daughter sometimes, like sometimes she'll watch some shows with me. So Shadow and Bone was one she started out watching with me. And so Inej walks into the menagerie and Helene, who is the owner of the menagerie, when Inej walks in, she tells, she just kind of gives her this look like, you know what to do. So Inej starts taking all of her knives off of her person and puts it down on the tray. So... My daughter has a thing for kick-ass women and weapons. 
And when Inesh was pulling all these knives out, she was like, I think I'm in love. <laughs> it was just so funny because she was pulling these knives. Okay, so there is a movie based on another YA lit series, The, uh, the Mortal Instruments City of Bones. And one of the characters in that movie, Jace, he has to go into an apartment and before he goes into the apartment, he's told he has to lay down all his weapons. That's what this scene reminded me of because she was pulling those knives out from everywhere. Like, I was like, you, and I, that's how I was looking at the, the TV. Like, okay, you're pulling them out from here. You're pulling them out from there. You're pulling from here. You've got more knives. And then she pulls the thing out of her hair. I was like, okay, I'm just done. She's just a femme fatale. Yeah, and, and the guy says, oh, that's new. Right. <laughs> like, like they're used to this with her. I, I, I really like Inez. I think I said that before. And, I, I think you um, might have said it a couple It reminds times. me of Mazakin. <laughs> She does that's remind me of that. Yes, that's who, that's who, yes, nice. exactly. That's, that's, that's a really good nice. comparison, I, actually. That's really good. That's excellent. So, you know, I, I have Mazikeen up there. Not, not not the real Mazikeen, but the Mazikeen most of the time, not the other Mazikeen. I love her, yes. Yeah. So, Inez and Helene, they finally get down to business, and Helene, Helene tells her, basically, she's like, I want you to kill somebody for me, and Inej apparently has this thing about killing people, which, you know, she's like, this is something I need you to do for me. I know you're trying to leave town with Cass and you know you can't leave town, but she's like, you have a set of skills that I need tonight. You can kill this guy for me and I will let you go. I will, I will, your, I will consider your indenture paid. You will be a free woman but you have to kill him. And of course, Inez is like, I, I'm not going to do this. I can't kill him. And Helene tells her, this is what this man does. He traffics children in just like you. And this is the one thing that I think Inez is kind of like, oh, okay. But Helene's motivation, supposedly, she's like, he sells to one of my competitors and her business is taking away from mine. So I need you to kill him. You, <sighs> first of all, I really, really, <sighs> the one issue I have with brothels, just in general, it's bad enough when you see a man owning them and, 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 you know, using women and children for sexual pleasure. Think Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. To me, it's way worse when a woman is doing it. And I don't know if that's just a sexist idea. If it's just, it, to me, it's just, you know how degrading this is as a woman, as someone who is often overlooked not treated important. Why would you do this to other people? Why would you do this to children? I know that it's probably the oldest profession in the book. And I know that there are people who do it and, and have no qualms about men, women, children, whatever. It just makes me so sick. 
and the fact that this is what she's this is this is what she's using Inej for. She's using those skills so that her competitor can stop putting her out of business or stop taking her business. I was like, Inej, you know what? Why don't you just kill her instead? Just but you know that that's not how these things work. I just had to get that off my chest. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, I I get the impression that um, Tantaline was is like just you you can't really count you can't really predict what broken people can do because I mean she it's, it's obvious Tantaline is is broken even though she seems really together you can tell that. Her, her life has been a series of like really tough shit so that she's basically just out and and she doesn't really care so she's doing she's basically doing this for the money and she's hollow inside she's literally empty like she doesn't really feel anything except what can i she's basically a um she's she's basically just doesn't really care I've I agree with you I'm gonna go into the book a little bit not really spoiled but just a tiny in the book uh Inez loses her family because of something that she did that was something that a child would do she slept late and she got kidnapped there is no brother in the book in the tv series there is uh Helene actually is even worse than Hanukkah uh referenced in the tv series because in the book not only does Helene uh take control of Inez she actually buys her directly from the slavers who kidnapped her so when they get to the scene in the series where she's talking about paying the debt uh the only thing that's keeping Inez from actually killing her because she's such a despicable person is that she is holding out hope that Kaz will be able to once he buys her freedom buy the one piece of information so that that Inez can actually meet up with her family that she was kidnapped from so that's why she didn't kill her okay i i can understand that so inez she goes to find jesper and have i mentioned that jesper is like one of my favorite characters he's in the adorable show so he's awesome. the most he's adorable it. thing because ever he's a gunslinger yes he is no he's not he's sitting there and he's yeah, like he he's practicing with his guns in the mirror and like it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He reminds me of Jury Smollett before when he was in Underground. Remember he played that one character? He looked because he kind of looks like him a little bit. He, yeah, I can yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's got that face, but he, he's just the cutest thing ever. No, he's not. That is not cute. Playing with your guns in front <laughs> Whatever. of Whatever. It's not whatever. So anyway, while he's sitting there practicing, Inej sneaks up on him. <laughs> he's like, how do you do that? So she comes to him and she's like, look, I need your help. I need you to kill a man for me. And he's thinking that she's joking. And then when he sees she's not, he was like, why do I need to do this? You have as many knives as I have guns. And she's like, you know why? And again, you know, Inej apparently has an issue with killing. She, she can't kill or she won't kill. And I think she referenced that also in the first episode when she was telling Dreesen's men trying to figure out what they were taking to his house. 
you know, she said, I couldn't get close enough. It would have, it would have meant that I would have had to use my knives. And Kaz is like, oh yeah, we know that that's not going to happen. So I think she has a real hesitation about killing people. I don't know if that's personal. I don't know if that has to do with her faith because we do see in the first it, episode. It's her faith. That it's she, her faith. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's faith, yeah. In, in the books, she's uber religious. Here, she's just merely religious, but in the book, she's uber religious. And it's not so much killing as the fact that she doesn't want to commit sin. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. That's weird. I know, considering what she does for a living. Well, I, well, <laughs> I, I guess more so the, the theft and the, the stuff that she does for Kez is what I'm thinking of because whatever she's forced to do yeah. at the at the menagerie, I don't, that's not something she can control. So I don't think about that, right. but given the kind of business that Kaz is in, yeah, that, that does seem kind of like um, weird, but okay, whatever. Oh, that that's that's weird, but like playing with your guns in front of a mirror. Is- Let it go. He's Elsa. not the religious one. He, he obviously doesn't have a problem with being sinful, so we're not even going to go there, sir. And also, he anyway. refers to himself in the third <laughs> Leave Jasper alone. There's something wrong with no, people. I'm on, I'm on Hanukkah's side on this one. Leave him. poor, cute, adorable Jasper alone. Leave him alone. Alright, I don't think he's necessarily cute. I just I just happen to like him as a as a silly character. He's not really Well, type, Lori and I will speak on. for you. He's cute. Anyway. <laughs> so she she goes to him, asks him for help. And as he's getting ready to like get more information from her, Kaz comes in from the side and he's like, hey, Jesper, new job. And when he turns back around and Nash is gone, I'm telling you, that girl is smoke. She just disappears, you know? And he's like, she did it again. I don't know where this girl goes. A girl has places to be. Uh, uh, and and she's, still, she's still a little pissed off with Kaz too. So I think she was like, you know what? I don't feel like dealing with him right now. Let me go. And she was gone. Just poof. Anyway, going back to Alina and her very long carriage ride, she is in a carriage with two of the Grisha. And I think this is Ivan and what is the other guy's name? Fedor? Fedor, yes. I like Fedor. He's cool. He seems to be like really friendly and you know, Elena's asking questions and he's answering the questions and, you know, Ivan seems to be a little bit more stern. Ivan's about their business. Yeah. He wants to get the job done and hurt things. Yeah. So, you know, he's explaining to her about the uniform of the second army and, you know, he's, she's asking questions. She was like, well, what about the first army? Are they coming? You know, and, and she's just asking a lot of questions and they're answering the questions. And then, they get attacked. And we, we talked about these people before. They're the Druske- Druskella. And they are Grisha hunters. They come from the northern country, which is called Fjord. Uh, is it Fjorda? Fjordan, yes. Yeah. Fjordan. And they are people who are, I guess you can kind of sort of say they're radicals. They don't like Grisha. Um, I will even go so far as to say they hate Grisha. And they basically hunt them down and, and kill them. Yeah, I got issues with them, but I'll talk about that in another episode. Oh, what's your issues? What's your issues? 
Well, for okay, well, their issue is this. They are religious fanatics in the book. And it's not that they're hunting the Grisha down because they have a personal beef with them for what they do. They have a beef with them for who they are. Now, mind you, picture this. You got a group of people who are chilling in their own cut, and they decide that heretics, people who have magic, should just die because they're a sin against God. So they leave their own country on purpose and take these people, round them up, bring them back to their own country and persecute them in order to sacrifice, in order to appease their God. That's it in a nutshell. Hmm. Is that not crazy? But I will say, well, because something comes up later on, but I'm going to say this. For what they're doing in the series with these people and the way that they're showing them, I actually like it better than the book because in the book, we only see one version of it. But it's awesome because they've managed to dial down the hate a little bit and just show them as, you know, hunters. And I actually prefer that better because if they would just show me the religious fanatics, I think I'd be turned off. I like it that they've dialed down the religion a lot in this show because in the book you get a lot more. Yeah, well, I, I think one of the things about the show that... I like and that a lot of people who have been commenting about the show like, especially those who are book fans, they like it because you get to see multiple points of view. You don't just see Elena's view. So right. um, that was, that's one of the things I always like about book adaptions, especially when the books are told in first person viewpoint. But um, anyway, in, in this carriage ride, like I said, the guys are answering Alina's questions and you can kind of see in this conversation just the different ideologies that Grisha and regular people grow up with you know they talk to her about being protected about going to the little palace and and how she's going to be safer there and he's like you know you're a sun summoner you were a myth until now but you're a very special girl how has how is it that no one has looked at you twice before and she's like, are you kidding? She was like, you know, inside your palace, things may be all hunky-dory, but out here when you're different, it's always an excuse for a fight. Like every day is a fight. And they tell her a little bit about being a Grisha, how it used to be that being Grisha was a death sentence. And now that General Kerrigan has built the little, you know, I guess he built the little palace and it's one of the places that Grisha can feel safe, they're protected. And now be under General Kerrigan, they're actually somewhat feared. You know, people don't mess with them, people don't bully them. And then they also tell her about the fact that, you know, she's supposed to help destroy the fold. And when she asks why, they're like, well, Agrisha created it. So it's gonna take Agrisha to destroy it. Once the fold is gone, we probably won't need the little palace to protect us anymore. Maybe once that happens, we can kind of coexist there. At least that's that's their, you know, their hope. That's their but, hope. But but yeah. we know that the world doesn't we, work like that. We know this. We know this. Yeah. You know, but they're hopeful, and it's okay for them to be hopeful. But we can already see. This is about to be some issues because as they're riding on the road, they come across a down tree. We already know if there's a down tree in a road where there's usually not a down tree, that means somebody's yeah. about to get attacked. 
It's Robin Hood. <laughs> so they tell Alina to stay in the carriage and we see them go out. And this is where we really kind of get to see the powers of the Grisha in full force. I hate to bring this up, but I know everyone here has seen the last Airbender movie. And I know you have, right? What, the M. Night Shyamalan one? Yes. The, the, the movie that yep. no one likes no, to talk about? Right. Why did this scene remind me of the fight scenes in that movie with all the... If you watch it at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's not that bad. See, the movie wasn't bad to me because I hadn't watched the anime at that point. So I'm watching the movie and aside from the fact that, you know, some of the characters were whitewashed, I was like, oh, this is not a bad movie. My then husband and my kids who were all younger then they looked at me like I had committed a cardinal sin. They were like, no, mom, this movie is horrible. And I was uh, like, I was like, but it's not that bad. They were like, no, that's because you don't know the show that it's based on. Once you watch the show, you'll see. Now, I've since watched Avatar The Last Airbender. That was one of the first things I did when we went on lockdown for COVID quarantine. I have not gone back to watch the movie and I don't want to because I have a feeling that I'm really going to hate it. <laughs> like, okay, I think when when I asked the kids, I was like, okay, compare it to something that I would have seen that I could compare like the original source and then the movie, they were like, Dragon Ball Evolution. I was like, you never speak that name ever. So they were like, <laughs> like that. I was like, oh, okay, I understand the hate now. So. Okay, I, I only bring it up because this little fight scene reminded me of the fight scenes from the last year. But it works in this because that's probably what they're supposed to look yeah. <laughs> what they're supposed to look like. One good scene. And the last airbender, and that was when the, the, the Earth Nation, when they had that little 25-second montage where the Earth right. Benders were moving the Earth. That was the best part of the movie! I don't even remember because that was so... Like, I literally watched that movie the once when it came out in the movie theaters, and I never thought about it again. After, after I got such... After my kids and my ex, like, rab, rattled on me, they were like, no, you cannot like that movie. This is why. And they literally started listing stuff of what was wrong with the movie and why I couldn't like it. And after that, I was like... Okay. Oh, also, how beautiful are the Kafkas? How Kefta. do you say it? The Kafkas? Oh, they're, they're gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous beautiful. They like, are. Can I get Kat to make me one for Dragon Con? <laughs> do you think I oh, could buy her? That would be cool. Out of, you need to go to Dragon Con as Grisha. Right. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, I'm down. I'm, I'm I think you have swaller. to pick which one. Do you want the purple? Do you want the red? Do you want the blue? I'll be in Inferno. I mean, they're all Inferno. gorgeous. I want the Inferno. They're all gorgeous. Oh, that'd be they cool. Are. I mean, they're they're gorgeous. I mean, I, I think I saw something about the, the costuming. I've, like a little blurb on thing on YouTube, I think. But costuming is the beadwork is gorgeous stuff. Yeah, it, it's it's gorgeous. It is. But um, like I was saying, we, we see a little bit more of the, the Grisha's powers in this scene here and you know being a Grisha doesn't look like it's so bad except for the fact that people are killing them like the power part seems to be great but whoever the the this this Druskella the Grisha hunters they have no powers but they are like picking these Grisha off in quick succession 
how I mean, and and they're being fought against with the powers, and it just I, you know I I felt bad because I was like they don't deserve to die like this. I mean, it's just it's just so bad. Like they're being slaughtered, and of course Alina is stuck in the she's stuck in the carriage because, and I have to say it again, Alina is the one heroine that is smart because at the times when someone tells her to do something and it's actually beneficial to her she actually listens like for the most part she stays in the carriage until it becomes too dangerous for her and then she gets out but i was like she's not one of the people who's like no i'm gonna go help even when she was on the skiff when the vocal were attacking mal turned around and looked at her he was like get down she got down she didn't say no i can help let me do this no she knows her limitations and she sits her ass down i like that about her she steps up when she needs to be but when she doesn't when she's going to be a burden or when she's going to be a distraction or when she's going to be in the way she sits her ass down i like that about her yeah she yeah she's no squirrel i mean she is she's not the type that's going to be like not listening and getting but see squirrel getting, is a whole thing. or she's not jack Squirrel is a whole different I know, I know, I know. Because that kid... And see, that whole fight scene just goes to show that, you know, powers don't do anything against uh, Arrow to the head because they were taking him out with, like, surgical precision with those arrows. I was like, holy shit. Like, they they, they tried. They fought them before because, you know, they're using arrows, they're taking headshots because, you know, the Kefkas are bulletproof. Right, right. Again, they know the smoke bombs keep the heart renders from finding them. So yeah, right. they, 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 those guys are experts. Right, because Ivan is telling one of the heart renders, he's like, how many heartbeats are there? And when she's trying to figure out, she says there's too much smoke. And I'm like, wait, what? How does that even work? Like, I just want to know more about these powers. Like, how is it that smoke can like I and I know it's probably the sound of the smoke bomb and all this other I think stuff. She has to see. I think they have to see them to hear heartbeats. Yeah, I think she has. She has to. She has to be. Able oh, to see. okay. Even if it's a glance, but that, other than that, I can't see any reason why they would use the smoke bombs because I that, think okay. a lot of the greases, the greases have to see you to to do what they want to do to you. The greasers need to be able to see you and they need to be able to actually use their hands. And other than, because if they can do neither one, they can't do magic. Their hands, yeah. Now, I will I will do this as a checklist for my issues with things that have to do with powers. Those are some really good limitations on keeping your, your magic people from being overpowered against non-magic people. So they have to use both their hands. They have to see you. Mm-hmm. There are limitations, and those are some good limitations. They don't do crappy hand signals like they did the magicians. Yeah, because it makes yeah. it a little more of a fair fight, if I can say that. I mean, they still have an advantage, but it's not such an overwhelming advantage that it seems unfair or it seems too unrealistic. Well, in this case, it levels the playing field because they were pretty evenly matched as far as the battle yeah. goes. While all of this chaos is going on, one of the Fierdans, um actually pulls Alina out of the carriage. And, you know, he calls her witch. He calls her Grisha. He threatens her. And she's telling him, she's like, I'm not Grisha. I'm not Grisha. And you have to think about it. Yes, even though she is Grisha, in her mind, she's still trying to convince herself that this is not her, that, that this is a mistake, you know? And of course, now she's trying to use that to keep her from getting killed. 
And just as this guy is about to drive an axe into her skull or whatever, we get this aerial view of all of this shadow following General Kerrigan. And I'm sorry, that was a beautiful shot. It was beautiful. But he comes in on his black horse, not a white horse. He's not a knight in shining armor. He's not coming in on his white horse. He's on a black He's the black knight. He jumps off this horse. He does something with his hands. And then all of a sudden, you see the shadows and like, the Grisha, they turn around and they look and they see the shadows and it's kind of like, oh, this is about to be some shit. But his shadows actually form a blade. This shit was so cool because you can see it kind of forming and it, it turns into this blade and, and the feared and that's over Elena turns around and sees him. He says, Darkling, right before he is sliced. Um, His arms chopped off. No, he's actually sliced cross body, kind of like Victor was in the Underworld yeah, movies. Was, when, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and, and all of a sudden you see Kerrigan coming up to Elena and, you know, he's looking around trying to make sure nobody else is, is around. But I, I'm sorry. If I had been one of the Druskella, and I had seen what I had just seen, I would have been like, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna go the other way. Y'all can y'all can have this. I don't want no part of this. Man, Bye. Okay, I'm just it, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I just looked at the scene and I didn't notice this before. Like right after right after Kerrigan sent that sent that shadow sword through him, like he turned around and you see his you see his arm like after you see the blood the invincible blood splatter on her you see his arm his arm fall off and you see you see the dude eyes wide open and you see his body slide that way and i was like mm-hmm. Holy yeah like i said just like victor yeah. was killed in underworld um that's what Celine did to him and then of course when we see them leaving you kind of see when he, when he helps Alina off the ground and you know that's when he tells her okay you're riding with me from this point on they show the guy and like literally okay let's see the top of his torso is in one place yeah. his arm is sliced off like mid i i don't know he's in like four different pieces yeah he's he's jigsawed ha ha <laughs> <laughs> wonder where that reference came from (laughs) yeah i didn't even even see i didn't even have that one in my repertoire that just came off the dome i'm freestyling this okay that's cool (laughs) (laughs) we go back to jesper and Kaz. And of course, Jesper is still being cute because I think Kez is trying to figure out like what they need for this job. And Jesper apparently makes it a habit of asking for an explosives expert on every job that they do, even if they're on a job that doesn't require it. He asks for it. This again endears me to Jesper. I don't know what it is. He's just like, hey, we can just use this. I know it's impractical, but let's have, I just, I don't know. Jesper has this kind of 
I won't even say childlike quality, but he has this quality where even though he's in a seedy type business, he has a good attitude. He finds joy in what he's doing. And that just gives me life. That's one of the things I like about his character. Shut up, Anthony. Anthony is shaking his head. I'm not paying attention to you. He I'm speaks, not paying attention to you. He speaks about himself in the third person. This is not a just for talent. Oh, he he speaks about he speaks about his talent in the third person. He's like, that's not a just for thing. That's like that's right. Like, he's adorable. That's he's adorable. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I'm reading the book, and, and when I found out something about him that just had me laughing hysterically, I'm like, oh, the guy. I'm not even going to spoil because the guy's going to love this. All I'm going to say is that Jasper is literally like the little brother that you've always wanted, but at the same time, you're like, I got to bail you out of jail again. Not because you're a bad guy, but because you're stupid. I mean, he's just so cute. Yeah. I can't help it. He's yeah. adorable. Uh, and I, you guys know me. I hardly ever say that. Um, I, I think the thing with him is that he's so, I get the, the idea that he's so excited about anything exciting that happens to him because he looks like someone, you know how the, some people are easily bored and some people that have constantly got to do something in order not to be bored. He strikes me as one of those people. Yes. He can't sit still. He does. He has to always be doing something. Something's always going to be going on. And if it doesn't, then he's bored. He's depressed. Something's not right. And I mean, if there's like, let's go outside. Let's go to the store. Let's go around the corner and get a soda. He's the one that's going to be leading the charge, suggesting the idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, we can't do that anymore because we get killed coming back home. But anyway, <laughs> But my thing is, is that he's the one that's like, oh, the fair's in town. Let's go to the fair. I mean, he's going to be the one that's always going to get the party started, as they said. But at the same time, I question how much of this is an act with him to prove that he's not really scared or concerned about what they're doing or what they're about to do. And I wonder how much of that is to sort of support Kaz and let Kaz know that whatever they decide to do, he has his back. Yeah, see, uh, if if anything, that is a good quality he has. Is he's going to be that friend that tells you that's a bad idea, but if you want to do it, I'm with you. Right. But I'm going to tell you it's a bad idea. Right. Yeah. And and that's a good quality to have as a friend. Yeah. But in any case, Kaz is apparently going to see what he calls an old friend, and Jesper is going to have to be the bait to kind of keep the bouncers from getting to him and you know he says that too he's like handsome decoy is not a jesper talent this man is not modest <laughs> by any means i think i kind of like that too Ar- arrogance can be off-putting in some characters i don't find it off-putting in him because again he's one of those characters that's just like he's trying to have a good time he's trying to have fun and and you kind of get the idea that all three of these characters, Kaz, uh, Jesper, and Inej, they grew up in some hard times. So I think Jesper is kind of like, hey, if I have to be here, I'm going to have fun while I'm doing it. And I I just love that about his character. Yeah. But one of the things that, that Kaz says he has to do, he has to go see Helene because he he's trying to figure out how he can still use Inej and not... I guess you could say not break whatever agreement they have. Um, 
And he knows that if he goes directly to Helene and says, hey, I, I need to go out of town and I need to use a Nash, she's going to raise the price that he needs to pay in order to get her indenture done. So he goes to see someone else, another old friend of his. And this person looks like the name is Poppy and they are a performer, I believe. This used to be Kaz's former business partner at the Crows Club. And Kaz apparently stole Poppy's share of the club. So yeah, I guess there would be a little bit of bad blood there. But Kaz goes to get some information. He's trying to find the conductor and he's trying to find him tonight. He knows that Poppy would probably have some information. So they have a conversation about it. And Poppy says something to Kaz about the fact that um, Helene has reached out to them. While they're talking, Kaz notices that Poppy has received a message from Helene. And Poppy says, yes, she was asking about the conductor, probably about the same job that you're doing. And Poppy says that they warned Helene with a note. And Kaz is like, you sent a note to the conductor because Poppy's like, yeah, I, I warned him that people were looking for him. And Kaz is like, you warned him with a note? And Poppy's like, yeah, why? He says that Helene specifically asked about the conductor so that Poppy would warn him and her messengers could follow their messenger to the conductor. So obviously they're looking for the conductor for the same reason. And we figure out that the person that Helene sent Inej after is not actually a trafficker. It's the conductor. And she's doing that so that she can spoil whatever plan Kaz has, whatever he needs Inej for. She's trying to you know, she's trying to basically, she's trying to fuck him, you know? And so Inez is there at the conductor's house. She's gotten there. She's asking him questions about what he does with the children that he transports. And he's steadily telling her, look, this is not what I do. I don't do this. I don't deal with kids. That's not what I do. And right before Inez kills him, because she really thinks that he's lying to her, Kez just happens to stop. Uh, he just happens to come in and stop her. And he tells her, look, this is the guy that we need. This is the conductor. He doesn't traffic kids. Helene told you that because she knew you would kill him. And Inez is kind of like, what the fuck? She's mad. Wouldn't you yeah, be? Yeah, but it's, but it's like, it, show, it goes to show how much respect they have for Cass. Like they, I mean, even though, even though she really wanted to kill him, she kind of trusts his process. Like her and Jesper trust that he knows what he's doing, that he's smart enough to get what he what he wants and what he needs and that it's going to benefit everybody when he when it happens so right i think that right. that's what it is it's like they trust him yeah because she even says it like she tells him look helene said that she would she would free me if i killed him and kez is like look it isn't worth more than what we get alive. And she's like, you will put him over my freedom. Cass says, you assume that they both can't happen. You assume it's one or the other. And he's basically telling her, look, we have a way to keep him alive and for you to be free. And like you said, you notice that they trust him because Inej still looks like she wants to kill this dude. 
And then she kind of lets him go. And Kaz breathes a sigh of relief because I think at this point, Inej's desire for her freedom probably outweighs whatever qualms she has about killing people. I think they've learned that he has the ability to see a bigger picture than they can. Yes, I, I would definitely say that. Yeah, he's definitely a big picture guy. Yeah. But um, the next scene, we arrive at the Little Palace. And boy, oh boy, I don't know why they call it the Little... If that's the Little Palace, I want to see what the Big Palace looks like. That place is huge. And it yeah. is gorgeous. You know, it was like Versailles-like. Is this the... Is this not the actual palace? Like, is the real palace in the other part of Ravka? I think it's more like a Russian thing because it's supposed to be like Russia. When they have a training facility or they have barracks, it's usually referred to as something little. So I think that when they say that it's a little palace, that's just the name that they give something that isn't the actual palace. Okay, but the king and queen are there. They're so. there, but I think that if we got an aerial view, you'll see that they're on the same property, but the little palace is actually just the barracks and that they go across the courtyard to the actual palace. But yeah, I, I think you might be right, Lori, but I mean, if this is the barracks, where do I enlist? <laughs> like, I mean, and, and I understand it's a little bit different for Alina. Like, Alina is shown to her room and we see the first thing she does once she's alone for the first time since she's found out that she's Grisha, she breaks down crying. Poor baby. Like, you would think that someone coming from a poor background, someone who's had to struggle to eat, someone who's struggled to survive, she walks into this palace and people are there to like, I mean, General Kerrigan basically tells her, you know, this is your home now, you're safe, and takes her to this beautiful room, beautiful four-poster bed, huge bathroom. I need that tub in her bathroom. I'm just saying. But you would think that something like this would make her happy, but of course, we know her circumstances. We know that her life has just been upended. She's by herself. I mean, even though she's in a palace full of people, she's by herself. She doesn't have her best friend. She doesn't have anybody that she knows, and she's alone. And it's, it's got to be something scary for her, you know, thinking that this is my life now after you've grown up with, with nothing. And, and you see, she kind of takes in her surroundings and she's looking for, I don't know what she's looking for. She's looking for, I don't know if it's paper and pen. She's, no, she's looking, looking for, for a weapon. I, I guess a weapon. For a weapon. That's why she got the letter opener and put it under her pillow. So she could either defend herself or try to fight her way out. It's one. Of the, it's definitely to protect herself, but I mean, she could use it to fight her way out too. She she was just looking for something to protect herself. Yeah. And then while she's going through all of this, Mal is back at the camp. It's nighttime. He is trying to sneak off. He's about to go find Alina and and I don't know, rescue her, bring her back, do what it, I I don't know. I mean, but he's about to go after her. He's like, look, she's not safe. She's with Grisha. He said this to Zoya earlier in the episode. She's like, oh, she's in the safest place she can be. And he's like, not as long as she's with Grisha. And I hate to say it, he was kind of right. Like she was with Grisha and what happens? They get attacked on the road. She almost gets killed. He, you know, I, I realize some of his feelings are steeped in prejudice against the Grisha, but at the same time, 
his instinct is to protect Alina and right now he feels like she's in danger so he's about to go and he's about to go AWOL which isn't a good thing but of course you have your two buddies Mikhail and Dubrov and they're like no dude you can't do this she's safe if you go you're going to put yourself in trouble you're going to get in trouble and you know you're going to get her in trouble it's just they're there to talk some sense to him everybody needs those kind of friends you know because Mal is about to go half cocked well, didn't, didn't one of them say if you really want to get to or get to a little palace be a hero right right they're like look be a hero get a medal but the other thing too is Mal right now is going half cocked on emotions. He's not thinking clearly. The only thing he's thinking about is Alina might be in danger. I need to get to her. Mikhail and Dubrov, they're they're not as attached to the situation. You know, they are able to look at it and assess everything with a clear head and maybe think things through in a way that Mal can't think of, of right now. You know, they they don't have the emotions attached to it. They just know, look, that's our friend. We can't let him go get in trouble. He's gonna he's gonna make a mistake. Something's gonna happen, and then he's gonna be worse off because we don't know what happens to them if they get the, discharged from the army. We already know when they were in the orphanage. Basically, their three options were: you're Grisha, you can be in the army as a soldier, or you can be in the army as a cartographer. Those are the options. So, what happens if he gets kicked out? He's probably going to be worse than he was in the orphanage. He's probably going to be broke. He's going to be homeless. He's going to be blacklisted. Like, he he really won't be able to do anything for her, you know? So they're speaking some sense to him. And luckily for Mal, he's not enough of a hothead to say, no, I'm not paying attention to y'all. I'm going to do it. He, he sits there. He considers it. He's like, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'll stay. I'll, I'll figure this out. It's kind of rare because, I mean, you usually they would have been, been the ones be like, you're not going alone. We're going with you. But they actually, but like you said, they were actual real voices of reason. They're like, what are you going to do when you get dishonorably discharged? You're not going to be able to do a damn thing for if they if you leave and they kick you out, you can't help her. So you might as well just. Yeah, that's what it's like. Be a hero. Get a medal. Get a medal. Yeah. And then that way you you'll can, be you invited your there. Way to her. Now, I don't know how long they, they're expecting that's going to take. But, you know, it's just, and then which one is, I think is, I think Dubrov is the bigger one and Mikhail is the, is the slight one, but he's asking, he's like, why isn't he mad at her? Why is he doing this? She kept her power a secret from him. And Mikhail says, look, we're all fools. And when our closest friend is in trouble, we do foolish things. So even though they probably know he has some feelings for her still, it's about the friendship. That's his best friend. That's the person he has the strongest connection to. That's the person who's known him the longest. That's the person who he's always protected and who's always protected him. And that's what he needs to do now, but he needs to do it in a smart way. And I'm glad he has someone there to tell him, yo, you can't do this. Not in this way. Think about it. Strategize do it a smart way you know we all need friends like that and unfortunately a lot of people don't have those kinds of friends good thing mal does but going back to ketterdam with the information now that kaz has and knowing that helene tried to kill the conductor he does have a plan he goes to helene they um 
they did a really good editing job because when the friends, when he said, you know, when you have friends, you do foolish things or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was the same time Kaz was walking in to talk, speak to Helene about Yeah. Yeah. So we see Kaz walking into Helene and he's got an envelope in his hand and he's basically saying, look, I need to go on this trip and I need to take Anaja with me. And she's like, no, you can't take her. She she can't leave. You haven't paid. You haven't finished paying for her yet. So he hands her the envelope as collateral and it's the deed to his club. Like foolish thing, the deed to his club. Foolish, but again, we know that Kaz is smarter than he appears. So I I don't know. I mean, just like he told Inez, he was like, look, us getting this job doesn't necessarily mean that I'm choosing, I'm choosing the money over your freedom. We have a way to do both. I mean, think about it. If he comes back, if he does this job and he gets a million Kruger, he can probably buy his business back or get his business back and then some if he ends up losing it. I think at this point, it really was about how can we do both things at once? How can we all get what we want? We can get paid. Anesh can still get her freedom and my relationship, my friendship, my business partnership, whatever you want to call it with Anesh stays intact. And he found a way. What's a club when you might get a million dollars? You can probably buy a couple of clubs, you know? And again, you keep that friendship intact because I'm sorry, Inez is not a person whose bad side I would want to be on. So you got to figure out a way to, to make it work. And it looks like Kaz might have done just that. Uh, I, I'm just going to throw this out here. They did a really good job with that scene for him. Um, again, they brought this part of the story into the, uh, the TV series. In the book, there's a few different things i'm not going to spoil what the actual mission is on versus what we see but in the book i got kind of pissed off because in this series they're giving them a million dollars in the book they're actually offering them 30 million dollars yeah that's that's a big difference yeah that's a huge difference and and what they have them do in the book I would say is comparable to what we see what they have to do in the, in the series right now. So that kind of made me mad. But what also made me mad is that uh, when she find, when when he gives his collateral uh, to Helene in, in the series, in the book, it's like she kind of ups the stakes a little bit because she gives him a timeline. And if they don't have it by a certain time, whether he has the money or not, he's still going to lose it. So in the book, he actually puts more on the line than he actually lets Inez know. Hmm. Okay. Well, again, Kaz is the man with the plan. I, you know, I, at this point, I kind of believe in him the way that Jesper and Inez do. He seems to me like he's the type of person, like you said, Anthony, he thinks things through. He, he thinks about the long game. And I really have a feeling that even though he, it seems like he's flying by the seat of his pants right now, I think he has a plan to get this money, to get Inej freed, and to make sure that they all come up yeah, with it. He seems like he's one of those people that has plans on top of plans. Right. He's like the Zemo of Shadow and Bone. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Nice. So apparently they're going to go through the fold. 
the episode ends uh, with separate shots of Malin and Alina. Both of them are in their beds at night. They're separate. You know, Mal is in his tent. Alina's in her bedroom in the little palace. And we see them we see them going back and forth. It's kind of a flashback as well, but they're back in that metal. And I just look at it. That metal is their safe place. That's where they know that they are together and they're protecting each other. And of course, the, the way that the scene ends, they're both looking at each other, but not at each other. Like they're looking towards where the other person would be. And they go to like, hold their hands and they're in the metal and they feel like they're safe. And that's where it kind of ends. Um, I'm sorry. I got the dear Elena. I, that's what I got. Hands across the universe. I, I, I just think it's just it's just one of those things when you're in a bad situation. I think all of us have this place in our heads where we go to feel safe and to kind of escape our reality. And I think that's just kind of what that is for them. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think I would rather see this version of the metal than Edward and Bella. So, you know, why, why like, did you have to bring okay. up Edward and Bella? Why? Because Edward and Bella's special place was a meadow. Um, I forgot about that. So, I try to block out as much twilight as humanly possible. Also, the time traveler's wife as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I still watch it. Like, that's my guilty pleasure viewing. Like, if it's on TV, I listen to it in the background. I, I poke fun at it. There was. I have some positive feelings towards Twilight because that was a that was a point in time when a group of friends and I that's like that was the time when we really got really close we hung out a lot you know reading Harry Potter reading Twilight and just I have good memories surrounding Twilight even though the story is you know when I look at it now of course it's problematic and there's a lot of things about it that I'm like okay, why did we like that? But it was a fun time in my life for me. This was also, that was also during a time when my marriage was not doing great. So just being around those friends and talking about mm, Edward and Bella mm. and just kind of falling mm -hmm. down the rabbit hole of fan fiction and just, it, it represents a really good time in my life friend-wise as opposed to what was going on in my home life. So even though I pan it or whatever, I, I still love it. I'll still watch it. And, you know, I find it funny. So as long as I can laugh and, you know, I can cringe, but if I laugh about it and I smile about it, it's okay. Oh, no, that, I mean, yeah. you know, what, what she said, that's what a lot of people do, you know, when they have, have issues going on, so they escape, you know, and that's cool. That's a cool memory. Um, I, I think that my only problem that I had with this episode is that when she finally got to her room in the little palace and she was you know looking around i'm like girl why why didn't you just rob the library because i would have been like i'll be right back grab the cart <laughs> this book this book you know you you know that list you always have in your back pocket or your purse of all your your books that you want to get i'd be okay oh you have this you have that you have this you know my 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 one of my favorite memories is oh i only want to say how long ago it was uh, uh probably 10 15 years uh we went to seattle uh for uh four or five days on vacation and i love mysteries i read science fiction and i read mysteries that's all i read and there was the uh, the uh, a murder mystery bookstore and i'd seen this place for years went there 
had a list of about 30 books, walked in with Mark, looked around, just about lost it, handed her my book list. She says, go get a cup of tea, cup of tea. Half hour later, she had all but two books. I hugged the woman, best day ever. You know, so for someone like that to see someone ignore the library, I'm like, no, what's wrong with you people? Well, you know, I think she kind of had some other things on her mind at the moment. Never enough. Ne- you can never be too upset not to know a book. I don't know. Like she, she almost, she almost got killed. She got attacked on the road. Good. I would I still would have found a book because a book could have helped you save yourself on the road. for her. You know, dodge the arrow. Well, no, no harm ever come from reading a book. No harm ever came from reading a book. No, don't open the book. <laughs> But um, there was one part we forgot to talk about. Right after General Kerrigan saves Elena, they have a moment to themselves where they actually like, this is the first time that they actually like really interacted with each other. And, you know, Elena is, again, her character, the way that she is in this show I like the way that they write her because they don't write her like they don't write her like a typical teenage protagonist. And I say that because when she asks Kerrigan about what happened in the wood about him slicing that person who was about to attack her, you know, yeah, you know, that was kind of one of those things where it's like um you could say thank you because he did save your life even though it was in a way that you probably weren't looking for he says to her you know when she says when you slice that guy up like that he was like would you rather i use the sword and instead of her being all you know hoity-toity or you know indignant she actually kind of pauses and like i i don't know you know she gave an honest answer she she wasn't just you know a lot of times when we see these characters they they paint them as hot-headed indignant self-righteous and she's not any of that in this scene you know she asks him about his power and he he tells her how he can do the things that he does he's like there's matter to everything this is pretty much how the Greeks should get their power and it's just the way that they communicate with each other in this scene, for me, it's a little refreshing, you know, because even when she says, I don't, you know, I don't know if I would have rather you use the sword. She does apologize to him. She's like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. You know, she, this is a situation that's kind of new for her. And instead of you know, going into the whole thing, just kind of going off and like, oh, you you, you could have done this or whatever. You didn't have to ki-. The one thing that always gets me in the shows. Well, you didn't have to kill them. Um, Excuse me, he had an ax like two feet from your head. What else was I supposed to do? She, did, she doesn't say any of this. But he starts explaining to her. He's like, look, there's matter to everything, even air or shadow and it's it's too small to see and he's like that's something a summoner can do which is what he is um but it requires tremendous skill so he's he's explaining to her a little bit of his of his power but he's also saying look this is something that I can do 
I don't do it often. This is not something I would do on a regular basis. I only use it as a last resort, as an ambush. And in this instance, it's kind of like you, I know that they're kind of trying to paint him in a sympathetic life. But again, we already know he's, he's going to be the big bad in some way in this show. And I'm thinking about what you said, Anthony, when she asks him, well, how do they even know about me? And he tells her, well, you know, your little light show was visible from the fold. Everybody could have seen it. So they would have been on their way to you to find you. And he's like, that's why I'm traveling with you. But I'm kind of wondering too, like, could he have been, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. Could he have set that up? Like you said, to- it all seemed a little convenient right. for it to work out that way. That's why I was thinking at first. It's almost as if he set that up so he could be a hero right. for her. Yeah. To to gain more to gain her trust. Right. Because we're, we're sacrificing we're sacrificing a few Grisha to get her on your side. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, and I mean he has to like, I guess kind of convince her. She, you know, she's talking about it and she tells him that she doesn't want this power. She was like, I don't want it. Can't you just get rid of it? He's looking like she's or rather she's asking him if he can't get rid of the fold. And he's like, No, I I can't do it. I would make it worse. And then she says, well, can't you just transfer this power, meaning her power to someone else? And he was like, you would give up your gift. And she's like, what kind of gift is this? I've been dragged away from all of my friends. And now according to you, I'm going to be a target for the rest of my life. What kind of, she was like, you, you want to know why you've never found anybody with this power? Maybe it's because they don't want to be found that too makes me think that she knew that she was special and she was she was kind of like pushing it down she was hiding it she was ignoring it she was she was denying it also also i think i think that this could be potential foreshadowing for maybe maybe there may be someone maybe other people who have similar powers to her coming out too because that seemed like you know i mean that's a real kind of specific thing to say like why you've never found someone with her. Maybe it's because they or we don't want to be found. I mean, maybe she didn't say maybe because I didn't want to be found. Say maybe because they didn't want to be found. So maybe there are more people who are hiding their powers. Again, going back to Mal potentially being a Grisha yeah. too. But she also says that when he asked her again, he says, so you, you weren't tested as a child? And she answers, she says, we hid, we were different enough already. We didn't want to be alone. And he just looks at her like, why? Like you gave up being Grisha for <laughs> Going to a little palace and, and having, you know, a nice bed and eating, you know, chocolate eclairs and whatnot. Right. Because in his mind. Or baklava. Yeah. Because in his mind, he's probably thinking you would have been around other Grisha. You wouldn't have been alone. But people have different definitions of what being alone is and for her life without mal without her best friend without her confidant that's being alone she could have been surrounded by a hundred grisha and been welcomed and treated well and it probably still wouldn't have meant to her what being in the orphanage with mal did what would be interesting is when he finds out about her connection to mal 
is he going to be, you know, like Peter Knox and just completely ignore the obvious answer to the question, which is bring Mal to the little palace and let them hang out and at the same time teach her? Or is he going to be conceited and want to turn her into a weapon? You know yeah, the answer to that. Say, we, we already know how this story is going to find out. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I, I'm just saying, you, you know, I know, and and you know how I'm always thinking that that bad guys. I'm just gonna say he's a bad guy. Don't look at the big picture. He's not like Cass. He's not like saying, "Well, if she really likes his mal dude, and she's," and we'll, we'll see, because I I don't think he's gonna go that route. But that that's the easy thing to do. If she if she longs for something, and you yeah. know if you give her that something, she's gonna stay. No. Just give it to her. No, not at all. But yeah, we know that's not how it works. I just wanted to get a Peter Knox reference into the show. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. White male patriarchy and their dark magic powers. <laughs> White male patriarchy. Yeah, yeah man. Here we go. Again. Oh, oh but you know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, the white male patriarchy is when <sighs> Mal told them, went to his commander and was like, hey, we need to go after her. And he was like, she's their problem now. Yeah, he's like, fuck them, Grisha. <laughs> this is their problem. Y'all know Mal wanted to hit him, right? But Mal, Mal was like, you know what? I would end up in the brig again, and I'm not going to do her any good locked up. That's why he was trying to sneak out. You know, Mal, Mal is just adorable because Mal yeah. is, is, is almost as if he's like her soulmate almost, you know? Because he's just so, I mean, there's the best friend, like you said earlier, and then there's a best friend. So yeah, all that puppy dog love makes me sick. Whatever, whatever. I I would take puppy dog love over toxic love any day. Yep, pretty much any day. Loving this so far. I'm I'm really loving this show. It's it's got it's, it's got a yeah. lot of really cool stuff in it, and like I said, I skipped reading Shallow Bone and went right to uh, Six of Crows because of the Kaz and then with the Ketterham uh, group. And I have to say, I'm I, I have about five hours left on the audiobook. It's pretty darn good. I mean, uh, more than what we thought is actually from this book versus. Uh, uh, the actual Shadow and Bone book, which I found very, very interesting. But uh, just the way that she wrote everything, the way that she set things up, and the way that it's coming, you know, coming together, you know, on the TV series, I- I'm going to have to say that people are right. Uh, the TV series is better than the books, and the books are pretty darn good. I mean, I- I'm not saying this is Game of Thrones level writing, but it's up there. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've only read the first Game of Thrones books, but I, I do have to admit, though, for me, Game of Thrones took me a minute to get into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, so I don't know, but like I said, I, I do plan on reading the books, probably won't get to it until maybe the end of the month. If you're a history nut like I am, even if it's made up history, uh, two years ago, George R. R. Martin came out with a Targaryen history book, which lists all of the kings, queens, 
what happened to them, who they married, how they died. And it's written as an oral history and it's about 12 hours long. It's just awesome. It literally goes, and King so-and-so married so-and-so and they had so-and-so kid and he left the throne because he got poisoned by so-and-so and 15 something something and something moved on, became the next king. And it literally goes like it, that for like 15 it hours. It sounds like the book that Ned Stark was reading. Yes, it, yeah, pretty much exactly. It's awesome. As if you like just listen to nerd nerd facts all day. Yeah. yeah. So what do we think is gonna happen with these characters? Like we've already we already know that General Kerrigan slash the Darkling, we already know that he's gonna try to get Alina onto his side. He's gonna charm her, and then his true nature is gonna come out. What that's gonna be, I don't know, but I already know it's not gonna be something good. For some reason I feel like Mal's gonna Mal's gonna display some kind of some Grisha like power Grisha powers somehow. And it's gonna it's gonna come at a convenient time to to save Alina. Um I'm I'm having a hard time predicting what what the crow what the crow six is gonna do. I'm having a really hard time trying to figure that out for some reason. But I'm really I'm really anxious to see it. But yeah, I'm not really sure actually. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to not not to watching these one at a time and not binging them, just so I could continuously be surprised. I'm gonna be honest. I tried that. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing here. Didn't work. So even though I'm talking in these episodes like I don't know what's happening, I'm going with the way that I my thought process was when I watched the episode. But yeah, I I ended up having to binge. See, so. <laughs> I I did four and four. I watched four, stopped for a week, went back, watched the other See, four. See, the thing the thing for me is being a, a fantasy person. I'm always looking for the elements. So mm-hmm. you know, we've got your reluctant hero. She's found her powers. Now she's got to go get trained by the the wise wizard. You know. Who I don't know if it's going to be him or somebody else, but she's got to get trained. She's got the warrior, but he's been left behind. Her knight, that's Mal. Uh-huh. And the rest of her quest crew, they haven't gotten there yet. That's going to be the Crow Six, probably. So yeah. I'm looking forward to see how all these pieces come together. So I'm kind of looking at this like an introductory story to the actual story that we're probably going to get, you know, maybe later on down the line. Because right right. right now, it seems like this is a lot of effort being, you know, put put in trying to build these characters up in order to get them all together at some point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I said, I'm always looking for the fantasy elements. And and they all seem to be shaping up. In most stories, the way it's going right now, it's going to be the last episode before we see them all in the same room at the same time. That's going to be interesting. And, you know, we know because we know that ultimately the quest is to get rid of the fold. So that's not going to all happen in one season. We're looking at at multiple seasons. No. Yeah. I I liked everything in this episode and I liked the fact that it got me excited about what's going to happen as far as what's going to happen with Alina versus the, the crows. I'm with Michael. I want to see what's going to happen with the crows. Yeah. Um, 
The other thing is, I think one of the other things that really has me excited about this show, the casting is amazing on this show. Yeah. Like the chemistry between the actors and the different, I mean, even with the quote unquote minor characters like Dubrov and Mikhail, they don't feature very prominently in the story, but when we do see them on screen, they are very believable. They are, they have a really good um, chemistry with Mal. I just, I, I love the casting. And, you know, I have to say that for most of the Netflix shows, I, I don't know what they're doing. Their casting for their shows is amazing. And this is no different. Like they, they really did a good job with this. Most of these actors that are here, you know, aside from Ben Barnes, I think most of these actors, they do, um, they do most of their work overseas. So I, I don't recall seeing a lot of them in any American productions, which is great for me because I, I love finding new talent to watch and just to see how they interact. And like I said, I, I, I really love the casting that they did. And I'm really excited to see what else is going to happen with this series. And I'm hoping, I don't know if they've been renewed for a second season yet, but I could see that this show could easily do a second season. And since they are building from a book series, I'm hoping that we do get that second season and that we don't have to wait a freaking year to find out whether or not it's been renewed. Hint, hint, Netflix with Cursed. But... <laughs> Lord. I, uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. We should have heard something by now. You would think, yeah. Yeah, so that, that kind of makes me think that we probably will not be getting a second season. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So I, I'm kind of keeping that frame of mind so that if it gets canceled, I'm not as disappointed. But if it gets renewed, I'll be gleefully happy because I really do want to see where that story goes. See, but, here, um, here's the thing. If they only give us one season of Shell and Bone, I'm not going to be mad because considering what they did, I'm happy. No, they left. Mm -mm, no, mm -mm. I, I want... I was just well, yeah, I want more, but I'm saying if it doesn't get renewed, I'm not going to be mad because they took it to a point where I can say, okay, we have an ending. Mm -mm. <laughs> I want more because that was because, okay, having having said that I've seen the end, I, I need more. They they can't mm -mm, they can't leave it the way that they left it and I will be okay. No, I need another season. I might need another I might need two seasons. Well, I wouldn't turn them down. I mean, there there are certain characters where if they don't get other seasons, I'd be very disappointed because we wouldn't get to see some really cool stuff that they have coming up. So I will give you that. Okay. Real quick, um, I don't know if we talked about the the pattern around Elena's head when they were when they were trying to when they were on the ship. Like that, there was like the starburst pattern, like almost directly behind her head when she was laying down when they first found oh, the ship. Oh, when she was on the deck, when she was laying down. Yeah, on the deck. when she was on the deck. Yeah, I noticed it when I watched it as we were getting ready to record this show. I I didn't see it prior, but yeah, I noticed. I was like, oh, that's cute. Kind of angelic and godlike. Right, yeah. and her son. Yeah, uh, shout out to Kaz's pocket watch. That joint was fire. I really need to find that. That was so dope. Um. Also, shout out to the soldier who rode back on the bloody horse to let everybody know that they have been attacked. And Mal was like, where is she? Like, she's gone. 
She's going with the general. She and he was like, "You left her alone with one man." And the soldier looked at him like, "No, you know why I left her with? Like he's no mere man." I expected him to say just just say that. I was like, "Come on, man." He he was like, "Come on, man. You know how you think? I mean, mean, yeah, he he obviously was from Miles' point of view. She had a whole guard, and they got attacked. What is one man gonna do?" I mean, I I can see I can see that being realistically what Mal's thinking. Yeah, I can see it. But like she had dozens of people with her. She had at least a dozen people with her. Yeah. And you're the only person that made it back alive. Yeah, but just like Drax said, this is no mere man. (laughs) And on that note, that's our show. You can find us online at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Phantom Hybrid. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time. 